Hey guys, Matt here from License to Watch. If you like this show, you'll probably like our Patreon show. Sure, it costs one measly dollar a month, but by subscribing to that show, you get so much cool insider shit. Stuff that you can't find anywhere else. I mean, the real meat of the entertainment here is in the Patreon. For just $1 a month, you get bonus episodes about other movies that have nothing to do with the movies that we cover on the free show. We've covered Cliffhanger, Hard Boiled, and the world-famous 1996 classic, Twister. Coming up for our Star Trek series, we'll be covering the four Next Generation films. You remember those. Bald guy, dog-looking man character, robot dude with yellow eyes. You know all the characters, those famous, famous characters. We'll be talking about all of them. So come on, be a pal and join up for just $1 a month. I know you can do it. I know there's a pandemic going on and everyone's tight. Wallets are closed tight. Moths are flying out when you open up your wallet. I know, I know. But here's a trick, a trick of the trade. You can pay $1 and listen to all of our content and then immediately cancel. I'm hoping you won't do that. I'm hoping you'll forget that $1 is being taken out of your account each month because no one feels $1. No one misses $1. So come on, guys. Please subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash L-2-W. That's the letter L, the number two, and the letter W for license to watch. We have to eat. We have to eat. Thanks for listening. Now back to the regular show. Eugene Edward Roddenberry, known as Gene to most, was born in El Paso, Texas on August 19, 1921. Two years later, the Roddenberry family picked up and moved to Los Angeles, California, so that Gene's father could take a job as a police officer there. After graduating from Los Angeles City College with a degree in police science, Gene set off to be an aeronautical engineer. He joined the U.S. Army Air Corps Civilian Pilot Training Program and graduated in 1942 when he was commissioned as a second lieutenant. After surviving three plane crashes as both an Army pilot and a commercial airline pilot, in 1948, Gene Roddenberry decided to pursue his dream of writing for this newfangled thing called television. After writing for several shows, Roddenberry wanted to create a show that was, as he described, a wagon train to the stars, or in other words, a western in space. In 1964, Star Trek premiered on CBS. Initially met with a large fandom, the show's popularity declined and it was eventually canceled after only three seasons. In order to recoup the production losses, Paramount Television licensed the broadcast syndication rights of the show. The reruns throughout the 1970s gained enough popularity that by the end of the decade, Star Trek was being broadcast in over 150 domestic and 60 international markets. The show's sudden popularity was further proven by the attendance of the very first Star Trek convention, which occurred from January 21st through 23rd in New York City in 1972. Only a few hundred fans were expected to come, but instead, several thousands showed up. A popular animated show, Star Trek The Animated Series, ran on NBC for two seasons and gained the series' only Best Series Emmy Award. All this newfound popularity made it clear what Gene Roddenberry had to do, which was to reboot the show and call it Star Trek Phase Two. In 1975, work developing Phase Two began, but was eventually scrapped due to the folding of the Paramount Television Service. But following the big screen success of such science fiction films as Star Wars, 2001, and Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Paramount decided to rework the ideas of Star Trek Phase Two into a Star Trek feature film, or rather, a motion picture. Director Robert Wise, famous for directing The Sound of Music, West Side Story, and many, many others, was brought on to direct the film adaptation of Star Trek. Filming began in August of 1978 and generally ran behind schedule. This caused problems down the line all the way to post-production, where much time and money was spent finishing the film's many, many effects shots. In the end, $26 million was spent on the film itself, while another $18 million was spent on undeveloped sets for the Phase 2 series. 
most of which were never used, which brings the total cost of the film to $44 million. The film received mixed reviews with common criticisms focusing on the length of the film, which clocks in at 132 minutes. Overly long sequences of what can only be described as spaceship porn occur several times throughout the film. The film ended up bringing in $139 million at the worldwide box office and was nominated for three Academy Awards for art direction, visual effects, and Jerry Goldsmith's iconic score. While considered a disappointment by the studio financially, it made enough to warrant a sequel, and thus the Star Trek film franchise was born. Join me, Matt McGregor, along with my co-host Harris McCabe and Colin Shaw, as we open up the next chapter of our exploration into the greatest film franchises ever made and take a deep dive into the inner workings of 1979's Star Trek, the motion picture. This is a show about franchises, movie franchises. You're listening to License to Watch. Why in the world was this movie made? listening right now you're listening to license to watch i'm matt mcgregor and i'm joined by harris mccabe and colin shaw what's up fools hey how's it going also joining us today is our very special guest uh mr sean jared film editor extraordinaire uh, what's up dude? Uh, happy to be here but you really need to say that a lot more like uh, a wrestler announcer it's sean jared. <laughs> he's coming down the road <laughs> <laughs> apparently i have a great name for wrestling and did not know it until moments ago. <laughs> Good Lord. Is that Sean Jarrett's music? Oh, is that Sean oh Jarrett's God. music? He's got a chair. He's got a chair. What's he doing with that chair? Oh, no. Oh, no. God, no. Look out. Look out. Oh, my God. He's sitting in it. How, 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 how conventional. He is lazy as hell. He's just watching the match. That's probably Just what showing I would utter do. utter disdain for his fans out here. <laughs> a great wrestling Sean heel because he just never wrestles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably what would happen if I somehow wound up in WWE. The man you love to hate because he never does anything. <laughs> I feel like for We're... some reason your character's gimmick is that you just have three half naked like little people running around you at all times, like going like this. Just waving their arms. Well, I mean, as you can see right now via Zoom, that's actually happening. So that's why that gimmick <laughs> that's just your real life. Yeah. works. <laughs> yeah. yeah, get him, Sean. <laughs> that's one of them I right now. Like that's why he can't do that as his wrestling gimmick because you gotta it. It has you have to keep your real life separate from the the wrestling reality. <laughs> He'll just hire separate little people to be the the inspiration of. I think know, I just like, ruined somebody's show... day too. Somebody. Yeah, somebody's crying now. They're like, "It's real! It's real to me!" It's still yeah. real to me, damn it! He sits in that chair because he's got a lot of pain. Um, yeah. Well, I know. Again, happy to be here. Happy to start a new franchise with you guys. This is seemingly a this is exciting stuff. Yeah. This is our first non-spy franchise that we've ever covered in podcast form. It's really exciting. And we're, we're already from... regretting it. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're moving from Harris... the spy genre once and for all into science fiction. You chose Harris a very Matt... different movie than 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 a spy, like especially Mission Impossible. 
the pacing of this, I imagine, from the last Mission Impossible movie is just a little bit different, I would say. Yeah, on that on that note, can I ask a question first off? I really need to know in advance. This is bad, right? Like this this movie isn't good. Like whatever like what everyone's always saying, like I love Star Trek and Star Trek's so great and everything. This isn't what they're talking about, is it? Please tell Nine, me Timothy that I didn't Dobbins. agree to watch ten movies of this oh shit. Uh, the the other ones are not as much like this. Um, okay, okay. <laughs> I this have is hope. Uh, this movie sort of um, is more akin to Space Odyssey two thousand one and Close Encounters and those type of movies. Yeah, it's like a, it is like too. a really shitty version of the. I like those movies. <laughs> this is like, uh, it's it's yeah. it's more. I don't know. So. Here's what I think is happening here with the slowness because it's something uh, I've always noticed. Even so, the first time I watched this movie, I was too young to remember how young I was. I was, you know, like single digits age, maybe eight, maybe younger. Um, I remember it being uh, I had to get permission to watch the movie because they say that. Um, the Ilya character is celibate and I was too young to know what that word meant because I had not been taught sexual relations. Also, yet. also the giant <laughs> anus they fly into. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I didn't Vigor understand. Is no longer celibate I, that, after this movie. I will tell you that. Yeah. So watching it today, I was like, it looks like a big anus. When I was, you know, eight years old, I was like, I probably never looked at my own anus. So, um, which was obviously a mistake. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it, you know, when I was that young, uh, I thought some stuff was really cool about it. I think I was uh, won over by the fact that uh, my parents were Trekkies, so they were like, "You're you're gonna like this," you know, like it's Star Trek. You like everything like that, and so I did like it. But I also didn't like this particular movie of Son, the you're an idiot. You're going to love this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like it's like Beck with Scientology. We can't blame you. This is your parents' fault. You were born right. This. Right, right. Um, but yeah, because it was so slow and I didn't understand it. And uh, what was going on was a couple of things. This movie uh, is adapted from a TV show that had, you know, obviously a fraction of the budget and was not the same format and style because it came from the late 1960s. And so what you what you see is a movie trying to imitate the style of Space Odyssey 2001 at that time, you know, the greatest space epic there was, which is a terribly slow movie as well. Um, and it it's also bringing something to the screen that people were anticipating. Do you remember uh, this is something I remember from my own life is watching the Ninja Turtles cartoon growing up, you know, all the time, constantly. And then when they finally made a live-action movie of the Ninja Turtles, I thought it was, like, the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. And you It know, was, though. It yeah, was. That, is, it that was. movie rules. <laughs> yeah, that movie that's is gotta actually be is your, good. That's got to be your next franchise, right? you got to do the... <laughs> just, maybe. Um, that's a good idea. Trying to, but just trying to bring these things material... Go Ninja, material, go Ninja, go. <laughs> yeah, like, trying to bring these things materially into the cinema instead of, like you know suggestively on tv like showing the ship was a big deal so that's why they take 
half an hour to look at it in the movie <laughs> well <laughs> yeah so so i just want to make one observation on one way the uh, ninja turtles got this a little more right is that they were making a 90 minute movie and realized that they probably needed about 90 pages of script i feel like these guys said like yeah we got this 30 page tv episode can we just sort of stretch this out into two plus hours and they're like yeah yes. sure we'll just have a lot of slow moments where we look at things or watch people looking at things <laughs> Yeah, Do we, we really got, need 74 yeah. angles of the ship? <laughs> yes. We need more angles. I, I fell asleep like three times during that sequence and kept on waking <laughs> up and being like, wait, they're still not in the ship? And then I rewound it because I was like, I must have missed a scene where they had dialogue. Nope, they just silently circle the ship like 18 times. They're taking the least efficient path to get on board as well. Yeah, I think there's something really impressive about the fact that I watched it as an eight-year-old and did not sleep through any of it. Um <laughs> It that means is something about my brain that maybe should be studied with science and maybe should not be praised. <laughs> uh, well, anyways. you know, I, I, say this, I say this about a lot of movies, and call me crazy, but, like, in today's world of fast-cutting and, like, you kids with the MTV-style, you know, cutting and such, I, I actually appreciate a movie that takes its time and like I relish the like moments, the the quiet moments in movies. Um, and I look back at older movies and I say, you know, like wow, I wish movies were still made like this, and they didn't have to be so in your face constantly. Um, so I actually, I kind of dig that about this movie. I will say that that part with the ship and like two or three other parts in the <laughs> movie are are a bit ridiculous, <laughs> but. Um, other than that, I mean, I like a good thinker. I like a good, um, you know, slow burn. And I feel like this movie kind of hits all that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I kind of dig it. I think in the beginning it takes a little bit long for them to, like, actually get out into space and to, like, start the movie, really. Um, but they had a couple of things they had to, you know, fan service and stuff like that, you know. Well, I think my my big thing with because I agree with you hundred when you say things like I I think that movies don't have to cut so much and they should take their time and blah blah blah. I'm a hundred percent in agreement. I love when people hold shots for a long time and let you sort of absorb what's on the screen and everything like that. I feel like there's where the comparison falls apart is like with two thousand and one. There's always things of interest going on and they're always showing you new things. So even though it is very slowly paced and it holds shots for a long time every one of those shots is showing you something new and kind of you can find moments of interest within it. And these, a lot of times, this doesn't do that. It's not necessarily giving you new information or the shots aren't holding so you can absorb a particular thing. They're just sort of holding for no, for no discernible reason and, and just extending sequences that don't really need to be extended because I, I get like, I don't want to say that, because I do think there are cool moments. The ship looks pretty cool. The um, the uh, V'ger thing where they go into the cloud later, I thought looked really cool. I get them wanting to show off all the shit they did, but at some point you got to be like, okay, we we kind of seen this already. We can move. We don't need to cut back and forth between the Enterprise crew looking out the window at the landscape going by, and then the Enterprise going by the landscape, and then back into the crew looking, and then the landscape, and yeah, then the crew, there, and there then the landscape. There are too many shots. I mean, it, it, you know, I'm just going to jump in and just say, like... Well, I, I'm going to stop you oh, real, real quick right stop. there. 
I'm just gonna yeah. say the movie we're talking about. If we, I don't think we said it. Is <laughs> Star Trek: The Motion Picture, 1979. In the spirit of this film, by Robert we Wise. took a long time to get to the point. <laughs> yeah. 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 Although, although I'm sure Matt did an introduction that covered a lot of everything we've just talked right. about and more. So. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is true. I mean, anyways, I, go ahead. No, Sean. I was just gonna say. I mean, there are definitely there's two sequences that really stand out, and they're the the scene where Kirk is approaching the Enterprise and when they're flying over V'ger. And both of those, there's about six too many shots of the <laughs> ships. But maybe more. But <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go ahead and say, you know, be on the opposite end and say like, I really like this movie. I in fact uh, very much like this movie. I came in uh, having watched it uh, once before and liked it and was kind of expecting to sort of go back and be like, well, now that I've watched it a second time, I realize it's kind of boring, especially since I know you know everything that's going to happen but i guess like i follow a uh a twitter feed called spaceship porn it's not what it sounds like (laughs) but it is a lot of shots of spaceships i'm just really into sci-fi art and stuff like that so for me this is just like hell yeah this is great like i get to watch another shot of the ship and another shot and like it does look really really cool and the effects to me really really hold up and i totally agree about the idea of the length of the shots are really appropriate and the, and the music and you're sitting there and you're appreciating the whole experience. And it, it is, it is an experience. Like you feel like you go out in space for a long time and then come back to earth. Um, but it's just, I think that's the number of times we see it, which by the way, again, I enjoy. So for me, like when they're, when they're approaching the ship, I'm like, hell yeah, look at that ship. That thing looks really cool. So I'm thinking the same thing that Kirk is though. I think he's, the second time watching it thinking something maybe even a little bit more salacious like uh some of those shots on his face when he's approaching with scotty he does definitely look like like he's uh you know starting to get some wood as he's approaching yeah. the enterprise that's i th- i thought the whole reason they extended that sequence so much is so that all the fanboys could cream their shorts and recover in time to, to not miss any of the movie coming yeah. up you know you know I mean, of all the did, women so. of all the women that kirk's been with the one he keeps going back to is the ship Exactly. <laughs> She's a fine lady, and it and the whole oh. movie becomes a, a a a love triangle between him and Decker about who gets the girl. Yeah, and, I hate Decker. And ultimately, yeah. Well, there's a lot of reasons to not like Stephen Collins, the actor. You, <laughs> yeah, we'll go more into that. There is something I wanted to say. About if you want to, what, <laughs> yeah. There is something I wanted ahead. to say about what you were talking about. Um, something that this movie does that um. I think speaks to a way in which it succeeds in a way in which you can enjoy it, but not necessarily um, a way in which you can say that it's of a higher quality. Uh, sometimes you want to go into a movie and you want to kind of escape uh, your current, you know, reality. And you want to get that feeling where you're taken totally away from yourself. You're out of your head, that kind of thing. And this movie definitely does that it can do that and and it does it in a way that um some movies that i think you could argue are much better movies cannot do um and i think that's a an important kind of unique thing about this movie it does create an atmosphere. I have to say that I, I went into this never having seen it before and not really having watched a lot of Star Trek. And I was disappointed only because like when I found out that Robert Wise was the director who is, you know, this amazing, like one of the greatest 
classic Hollywood directors started off doing film noir. Actually, started off editing Citizen, Citizen Kane. Kane. Yeah. Yeah, which is incredible and a nice way to start your career. Um, and then did like Born to Kill and The Setup and Odds Against Tomorrow and The House on Telegraph Hill, all these like classic films noir. And then The well, Day the Earth Stood Still and The Haunting. Yeah. And then he, yeah, and then he just tops it off. He's like, oh, maybe I'll just do some musicals. And he yeah. does The Sound of Music and West Side Story. It's like an incredible filmmaker. And I was like, oh, this will probably be really good. And then just the, it wasn't. It was tough to watch. It was just the pacing I could not get around. And just like, just right from that, right from that, like, whatever eight minute unskippable cutscene of them flying around the ship, I was just <laughs> well, like, there's oh, something Jesus. to be said. Is about, there anything um, we can do about like, this? Y- you have to kind of put yourself in 1979 and, and realize like what this movie was doing. First of all, there weren't that many space movies. I may, except, maybe right except around one the time big one that were... came out two years prior to that. Right, exactly, right. And, and the one that and the one that came out a decade earlier right. and and looked much better, but you know, yeah, yeah. I, so just, that's I two disagree. Movies. There's two, yeah. There's those two, and then Close Encounters, and that's really it. And so this is, and then this came out the same year as Alien, which is crazy to think about, also. But uh, also, fans of this show hadn't seen it for ten years. It's been off the air for ten years, right? At least new episodes. I mean, it was in reruns all throughout the seventies, but. Yeah. This is sort of the first time that an, a TV show is being rebooted in feature film form. So they what they, I guess, tried to do is make this feel like just a longer episode of the show. And the show is like, you know, the better episodes try to get a little heady and like, you know, talk about philosophical. But I would have loved I would have loved more of that shit. That's what I wanted. I wanted more like philosophical. They, they like left a lot of opportunities to talk about interesting ideas on the table and didn't discuss them at all. It was like they were trying to do an episode of the show, but they weren't actually padding it to to fill out the entire runtime. Right. There's one well, big idea, a very simple concept, and then just expanding the runtime without expanding the idea. There's one big well, the I- idea. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, I was gonna say artificial intelligence is a term that hasn't been like created yet, so they'd never yep. say that in the movie. And the co- the concept that concept alone is like basically what the whole movie is about. But it's to them, and I read a little you know background about this movie. It's like they almost didn't even do that because they thought it was so far fetched the concept of basically a living machine or a machine that can gain consciousness and only until some guy some scientist like did a like a you know a magazine interview or some kind of like paper on it that year months before the movie came out did they agree to to do that plot line but to them it sounded ridiculous and now that's something artificial intelligence is a plot line that we've seen like hundreds of times not just a plot line they actually like scientists think now that an ai singularity isn't inevitable Uh, yeah it's an inevitability it's like if you make a robot that's smart enough to be self-aware and to create other robots the technology will advance not just like we'll be advancing hundreds of years of technology in matters of weeks and that ai is going to outpace us so quickly we won't be able to control it are you saying like an alexa is going to come back to earth and be a huge spaceship and (laughs) right yeah space cloud Yes, possibly. Can it get to doing that faster? Because we're kind of like, <laughs> we, yeah, we need help. We need, yeah. Come on, uh, AI overlord, yeah. take us away. Yeah, I for one welcome them. Yeah. I'm Can we talk sure about the? A... Yeah. Go go go. Go ahead. Now I was just gonna say I'm not sure we're ready for that crisis on top of all the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> no, that could be the solution to all these other crises. Exactly. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, you were just talking about the the story that they came up with. Can we just talk real quick about like uh, who has the story credit on this film? Sure. 
Alan Dean Foster. Does anyone know Alan Dean Foster at all? Enlighten us. I do not. Okay, well, you're not I assume reading, he's a sci-fi writer, maybe not, from the original show. You're not reading enough of your uh, uh, sci-fi film novelizations, clearly, because he is <laughs> okay. he's the king of sci-fi uh, novelizations. Now, he has a story credit on the film, and, and like I read, that maybe it's not that big of a... He didn't have a huge impact on it, per se, but... He's just kind of interesting because uh, just anecdotally, um, if Star Wars, the film that came out two years prior to this, had been a big flop, he was contracted to write the sequel to Star Wars, uh, which he did actually write as a novelization. So there's a, a, a sequel to Star Wars that exists now in paperback form that is not Empire Strikes Back. And if you're ever wow. curious, that is Alan Dean Foster's... Uh, and there's an alternate reality where <laughs> that was the way the world happened. <laughs> yeah, and it's a funny book because they, they've cut out, like, you can tell that they're cutting costs, so there's no Han Solo, because it's like, he's too expensive. And, uh, <laughs> like, so basically, they just did a, uh, a book where it's like Luke and Leia... Uh, just making out in a closet <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, it, it is that pretty much. Uh, no, but it's just, it's just like a, a it's, it is like kind of a, a what they would call like almost like a bottle episode. Speaking of television, mm-hmm. and you know, one of the things that this movie kind of suffers from is that it is very similar to a lot of Star Trek episodes, where you have a god being, and like the crew has to figure out how to stop the god being. In fact, as you guys go through like your whole journey through Star Trek, you're gonna encounter mm-hmm. that at least. One more time, I think two actually, twice actually, <laughs> yeah, and and this one too. Um, so like, yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry, that was a. I know we're doing radio. That was a TV uh, connection that Colin and I just had. But uh, yeah, like, yeah. But yeah, I just don't. I don't know how much we want to talk Spoil. about the movies. When yeah. when we were doing Bond, we like to pretend we had never seen all the rest of them when we clearly had. Um, so I don't know if we want to do that. <laughs> well, and for and for my benefit, because I haven't seen any of them. <laughs> You've never let's, seen let's a single keep me in... Star Trek prior to this. No, I I've watched a few episodes of the old TV show, which I I didn't really care for, and a few episodes of the Next Generation when I was a kid, which I thought were interesting but never got into. Wow, I am. This is I so mean, exciting I'm, to podcast. I'm familiar with all so like the levels. with all the mythology of it. You know, it's not like I'm coming in and being like, "Who's Scotty?" I don't yeah. get. You know, like I if nothing else, I know it from like, like that. <laughs> stand-up comedians and like <laughs> SNL sketches and stuff. But um, you're like not you're not saying what's with his ears or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah no, I, yeah. I'm not like I'm not like wait, wow, why is William Shatner such a bad actor? I already am familiar with everything, <laughs> great actor. with all those things. You know, so <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm so excited to do these on so many levels because uh, one is Harris is. His lack of experience with them is just so cool and um, going to be so much fun. And just uh, my uh, intense amount of experience with them is is also going to be pretty funny. Um, um, so yeah, should I, I do my? I, should I? Speaking of new things, should I do my uh, my your summary? Plot summary? Oh yeah, we're switching things up, baby. <laughs> Harris, a newbie to the franchise, is going to be doing the two-minute plot summaries for all of these Star Trek movies. I'm very excited to hear this. I'm a little worried because <laughs> I, I always, I was bagging on Colin for doing such a bad job, and it's not like he definitely didn't make it look easy. He made it look very difficult, but I still felt like it would be pretty easy. Well, you already, and now I'm getting, you already said I'm this is a 30-minute, you know, script, so you should be able to <laughs> yeah, do well, this. 
I feel like, yeah, I feel like if there's ever one for me to start with, it's the one that it was like a, a you know, two and a half hour movie that actually only has about 30 minutes of plot in it. Um, all right. So all right, are you I'm, ready? I got, um, I got the time. I guess open. I am. All, all right. All right. Ready? Just tell me when to go. On your mark, get set, go. Okay. So we open with these three Klingon ships and they're out in space looking to fuck shit up and they see this giant space cloud and they're like, hey, a space cloud, let's shoot it. So they blast the thing and nothing happens. So they call Starfleet. And um, when they're FaceTiming, they get evaporated, um, and Starfleet's like, oh shit, there's this big angry space cloud, and it's headed right for Earth, so we gotta get our closest ship, which is the Starship Enterprise. And the only problem is that the Starship Enterprise has just been overhauled, and they're not sure if it really works, and also it's got a new captain named Decker, and no one's sure if he's really ready either. He might be cool, he might be some creepy perv, no one can really tell at this point. So, um, so Admiral Kirk says, okay, I'm gonna take command of the Starship Enterprise just for this one um, mission, uh, but everyone actually thinks he just wants to get back out and pound some space poon, um, which is true. <laughs> and so his whole crew comes back. So all the people from the TV show come back except for Spock. Plus there's this bald lady that's Decker's ex-girlfriend. And then just before they leave, Spock shows up because he was on Vulcan trying to become a Vulcan Jedi. Um, but then he felt a disturbance to the Vulcan force. So he like came back to Starfleet. And um, so they take off, and Kirk immediately screws up and um, endangers all their lives, and Decker has to save the day. And you think that it's going to be, like, some tension there because Decker's pissed. Um, but no, it turns out they're both really cool with it because there's hardly any conflict in this movie at all. Um, <laughs> and then they get into space, and they get to the space cloud, and they communicate with it, and then it zaps them with space lightning, and um, it disintegrates Decker's bald girlfriend. But then she comes back as a robot probe controlled by the space cloud. And, um, but she still has some of her own memories. Yep. And then um, they fly deep into the space cloud's anus, and they learn that it's actually a sentient AI named uh, V'ger, and it's just trying to return to the creator. So V'ger starts threatening to destroy all life on Earth if it doesn't fly to the creator, or find the creator. So then they go deeper into the space cloud's sideways vagina, and they discover that V'ger is actually the US Voyager space probe that came from Earth. So they look up the command code to shut down the space probe, and Decker enters it, and he and the bald lady merge with V'ger through space lightning, and the world is saved, and Kirk's like, fuck it, let's just like go wherever. The end. Beautiful. Wow. That was pretty, wow. pretty accurate, yeah. Perfect. And, and that was a really exciting <laughs> story, by the way, that I just heard. I, yeah. Hey, you see when you when you get it down to two minutes, it actually moves. <laughs> this yeah. movie should have been a student film. <laughs> if it was two minutes long, this would have this would have cranked. <laughs> great short. That was great, actually. Good job, Harris. Yeah, I practiced nice. a couple. I was practicing a couple of times. I was just running through it a couple of times before I got on here because I was nervous. Yeah, I was practicing oh. listening to that. Before I we never did that. <laughs> it shows. <Yeah>. It shows. <laughs> no, I. I um, great. So I think. You know, you were saying this is kind of a weird follow-up to James Bond and and Mission Impossible. Uh, I I I sort of had an idea that it was kind of um, it's not spy stuff, which is Mission Impossible. But to me, when you talk about um, you know Shatner as Kirk and Sean Connery as James Bond through the '60s and '70s, like our parents and stuff, these were like the big melodramatic um romantic symbols of you know like pop culture masculinity basically and so that to me was the tie you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah i see that also it's a, a a 60s tv show that was adapted to a movie series much like mission impossible <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Also, yeah. Um, also hair pieces, Shatner. I think it looked like they switched between two different hair pieces in this, a curly one and a wavy one, but Connery also famously wearing a hair piece. So a lot of, a lot of connections a hair here. piece? I never knew that. 
Also, much like James Bond, um, I feel like the characters in this first movie of a series that goes on for six movies are all old already. You know, like <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, this is the last one where they're trying to pretend at all that they're barely young and they're really kind of old. And by the next, that's what yeah. I couldn't get over. What do you yeah. like? Greech's crew, and I'm like, wait, you guys haven't been promoted? <laughs> like, how long have you? <laughs> Chekhov, you're still doing the same shit, aren't you? Kind of stuck in yeah. middle management there. He's pretty bad at his job in this movie, so I think it makes sense. I mean, well, that was another thing I was kind of disappointed in that they spend all this time looking at nothing and doing nothing when we had all these characters that were like beloved characters from the show that I wanted to, I was looking forward to like meeting and getting to know them and learning more about them. And there's literally no part of, they like basically all show up for a line or two of a cameo and do something that references their job in the old thing, you know, and that's like even bones who is like, I think supposed to be like a more important character than some of the other ones doesn't really have a lot to do. Spock is pretty much the only guy who has any kind of a plot, and even his plot is severely underdeveloped. I really question why Bones is on this mission. I mean, he first of all, he, sho- <laughs> he shows up, and he looks like he's been partying with Tony Montana. For, <laughs> or like a, a commune in L.A. or something. <laughs> oh, my God, that beard. The beard rules. Oh, um, you know, I, so I'm jealous good. of the beard and the haircut and the gold chain. And the gold chain dangling yeah. on his on his exposed <laughs> yeah, chest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What the He's hell like, brought me here? I was partying and doing cocaine. I was just doing some space cocaine. <laughs> my 16-year-old girlfriend, Moonfire, is really going to miss me on this mission. <laughs> yeah. you, ever, you ever had any Romulan horse, Jim? It's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bones is the best <laughs> But the reason why he's here Is so flimsy I mean tr- again I love this movie But I am I am really confused Because Kirk just comes up to his Bones I need you I need you here So basically he's just like His his therapist I guess Like yeah. and, and they actually do I mean you talked about There not being any conflict Between uh, Kirk and, uh, and uh, uh, Stephen Decker. Collins But Decker thank you um, but, uh, you know, they have the one scene where, where Bones psychoanalyzes him and it's hilarious cause Kirk, uh, he says to him, you know, like, Jim, you want the ship back and you don't even realize it. And Jim looks off to the distance and he's just like, are you saying that I want it back? And, you know, it's, it's just, I mean, that's like <laughs> basically the whole thing and that, and to like basically crack jokes at, at Spock. And, you know, people say that this movie is humorless and, and, you know, I'd say it's, mostly humorless but bones gets a few good ones in um kirk asks him uh hey bones do you did you find the uh the medical facilities up to snuff no i did not and that always makes me laugh so uh but he's there basically for comic relief and to be jim's therapist and nothing else as far as humor goes that just that line bones i need you Badly is, is hilarious. I was I was like, oh my god, this is so much worse than I ever could have anticipated. Because because up until then, I thought easily the woman who says when the when they have the teleporter mishap, which by the way was horrific, and I can't believe they didn't spend more time delving into that whole monstrosity. Yeah, they oh, laughed. They laughed yeah. Oh, but the, yeah, yeah, they like totally forget about it. They're like, well, I guess we need a new science officer. Send a Christmas um, card to Vulcan. You know, yeah, exactly. Tell him I'm sorry. Um, you know but what I did? I literally. I literally paused it, just sat there for like, I don't know, like a minute. And I was just like, that is so fucking disturbing. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then started the movie again eventually. Yeah. <laughs> well, these things will happen. Yeah. Like, I don't even know why they're running a teleporter that's been malfunctioning. Shouldn't they test it with like a, a gerbil or something before they start sticking humans that they value in there? But the woman's line... Gerbil union refused by this point. Yeah. They've also achieved their own intelligence and they're just like, fuck this. We're not killing ourselves for your stupid space mission. But when that woman says, when the woman says, oh no, they're forming, it's like, I was like, oh my God, that is some of the worst acting I've ever seen. And then it was a competition between, mostly between uh, uh, what's William Shatner and himself to see who could outdo her for a terrible line right. delivery. She's a, for she's the rest a holdover the from the original series. I think that's Rand. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Rand from the she original was, series. Yeah. They, so is the um, the nurse, Nurse Chapel. Yeah. She's Dr. Chapel. Dr. Chapel. Dr. Chapel now. Yeah. She's been yeah. promoted. Get her out of there, Jim. Well, I, don't know, wanna, she... I don't want a nurse maid. I need a real doctor. I can't trust this woman to perform heart surgery on a Klingon. <laughs> Do you guys know who Dr. Chapel is, the actress? It's uh, the computer uh, voice. Macho yeah, Barrett, yeah. Gene Bar- Roddenberry's wife. Yep. Mm-hmm. And she is the computer voice in this movie of Spock's jetpack, as far as I can tell. Which yeah. is double weird. It's like, didn't I just hear you a few scenes ago, and now you're inside <laughs> the computer? It's also super unnecessary for Spock to like have the jetpack talk to him at all. Well, that's actually, <laughs> if you watch the director's cut, it, I believe it doesn't happen in that. Yeah. That was like a thing that they added for the, it's either for the theatrical or, I forget which one they added it for, but... Yeah, it gives him instructions on how to operate the jetpack. I just couldn't get over how this fucking series could make something as badass as a space jetpack so goddamn boring. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shocked we didn't have to watch like a safety it's, video on proper operation of the Starfleet emergency thrusters. It's suit. all realism. You know that if you were in space, that 90% of that would just be such boredom. You'd just be floating around trying to move from one mm-hmm. gigantic black space to another you'd be completely bored out of your mind so that's why i like this movie it was it's very realistic simulating that for (laughs) me yeah (laughs) well speaking of that uh this movie adds one thing that i really appreciate and that's like little spacemen like pretty much every time they show like the exterior of the ship there's like a little guy like floating around one running from an explosion at one point he's trying to get away from viger and he gets they look so shitty there's there's a couple times where it's like that guy does not need to be there he's not doing a job he's not close to anything he's not there's no task he's doing out there (laughs) when the ship is like uh docking or like leaving for the first time you see the little guy and he's like yeah, he's waving goodbye. Yeah, the, like the, the one guy does a backflip. The one guy does a little backflip. He does a backflip and waves them goodbye. And, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe they don't work for the Federation. Maybe they're, like, really rich people who paid for that experience. Like, <laughs> you know how people used to swim with dolphins? Maybe they, like, take their kids up Fantasy into space Fantasy space now, camp. Which makes the V'ger yeah. explosion all the, be- all the more better. Some guy paid, like, thousands of space credits to get annihilated by this AI. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's what uh, I, I don't want I'm to glad nitpick, it... but um, the Federation doesn't actually use money. <laughs> that's true. I thought about that as I was saying it, and then I realized I'm going to yeah, go ahead with this anyway. No, I liked well, it. I liked it. Yeah, I was going to correct you guys for that, too, but then I realized I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> Federation also doesn't use pants, by the way. I don't know if you noticed that, but there's a lot of um, pantless people. Are we going to talk about the costumes? <laughs> we should. 
I yes. want to hear all of your thoughts on this. Lots of costume changes. Um, I thought the landing costumes that they finally use at the end when they go down to meet V'ger looked like Best. something that Kanye West would that Kanye West would be charging like somebody a no. hundred dollars. It's like those misshapen so burlap, misshapen burlap sack outfits. That's <laughs> like Yeezy would be charging somebody three hundred dollars to pop. For if we're him. gonna meet a god, we might as well put on a vest. You know, it's like it's all, <laughs> I don't understand those those uniforms at all. They don't make any sense, but. There's definitely some Greek gods or something when they pull into uh, uh, Federation headquarters and spa- and uh, on the train you see in the background there's some people who yeah. look like like togas yeah, togas and stuff. exactly you see those all, time and time again in later Star Trek iterations. So and they Kirk is Kirk Kirk is going through out, outfit changes sometimes that don't even make any sense. It's like between cuts it, within the same scene, all of a sudden he's wearing a different shirt, and I'm like, what the? Where did he? Why is he wearing his white tennis shirt now? Yeah, yeah, white, I like that tennis shirt. The white <laughs> tennis shirt does not flatter his sidearm hair, though. It really kind of. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but uh, I didn't know hair grew there on on people. In the, but it in, the does. Fu- in the future, it sure in the future, does. future, it does. Yeah, in the future, it does. Just him and Connery. It's something to do with the hair loss in the head. Just sort of migrates right down to other parts of the body. <laughs> uh, so, like, when I was young, I, I, I did not like these costumes. I was like, what is going on? Like, this doesn't look like the future. It doesn't look professional to me, like, when I was a kid. Um, now, knowing what I know now, like, having met customers, customers and seen them work, this was someone's masterpiece. And it is designed to, like, be a seamless design with the production design, and that works. But at, and in 1979, this was really cool. But, you know, when I was watching it as a kid in the 90s, I was like, why is everything light pink, blue, gray, and tan? You know, like, (laughs) why are those the three colors? And, yeah, it's the color palette they chose, and it's, it's pretty fucking cool for the 70s it's a little bit of a like weird sex party vibe um especially with how casual the the the, the drop v-necks are i do think somebody served um. some fondue and had their balls out at one point <laughs> oh and the, one of my least favorite parts is um they choose to put decker in the one piece that you can clearly see his dick through which he needs to shop stop showing people his dick already yeah <laughs> i suspect he requested yeah. that and i mean stop showing people your dick could be a good like life motto for Stephen collins I think. yes for everyone really i mean we all need yeah. to i mean you guys can see what i'm wearing right now and it's pretty scandalous so yeah. <laughs> i don't know this this is like a lot of this movie the, my very first watching of it as a kid there's a ton of stuff i didn't understand what was going on and a ton of stuff i didn't like and as an adult there's a ton of stuff i've grown to appreciate on a whole other level so it's really strange i i feel like um i don't know i want to hear more about what you wait before we move off the costumes i just want to ask about the security guys wearing the old-timey leather football helmets (laughs) is that like something from the yes yeah is that something from the show like what is what are those because as soon as i saw like they don't even introduce those guys all of a sudden one of them's just standing in the background during like a, a scary scene and it's like wait who the hell is this guy? Who's that? like? Is he part of like the uh, the Notre Dame championship team or something like that? That just got teleported onto the Enterprise. He's there because he he asks some dumb question, and it's a question that none of the other characters in the room would ever ask because they would just oh know. yeah. So they needed yeah. they needed someone else there to like ask a question for, for the audience. Like, Shut up, meathead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, that guy I think has like one of the few minority names. I think he has like a 
Latino name and Kirk when he <laughs> says it to him is very much like oh no it's bones they're like uh he says carbon based life forms and he's like right. you know he says the guy's name with a lot of disdain upon that last name yeah. It's, yeah. a, it's a it's little a little bit Menendez go to college exactly. <laughs> humans Tito <laughs> exactly it's it's a little offensive if not a lot offensive that stuff's not supposed to uh, be there in the in the future you know like and you know Gene Roddenberry loved tight clothes that's part of the reason why everybody is you know so wrapped up in these things but uh, these costumes were you know Harris you'll find this out these were one and done on these costumes yeah. they quickly moved on from from these things that yeah i think this movie you know this is the came out in 1979 right before the the bright neons of the 80s emerged and uh i think the later movies benefit from a more colorful uh color palette yeah i got a little logan's run vibe from, from the outfits in this oh yeah and that's kind of i mean that's the kind of thing about this movie is it, it is i think really awesome to look at and listen to and and the story basically works for me but it is kind of old-fashioned for 1979 like you mentioned alien came out this year that's completely yeah. different uh yeah. 2000 i mean it does feel more like a late 60s film than say or a mid-70s film even uh than say like star wars which was grimy and dirty and you know everything was broken all the time and even though the enterprise doesn't work in this uh movie i mean the idea is that the future is perfect here. And so it's like a contrast. It's not like life really is. Well, that's and, and this is what really bothered me at the beginning, because I was my first comment on this that I wrote down was, wow, these special effects suck. It all looks like bad Photoshop. And um, I came around on a lot of it. Eventually, the movie did actually look really good. Um, but like there was something about the beginning, like with the Klingon ships, there's like no dimensionality to them. The like the models, like the, look, visuals, the models look good. It's when they fly in front of the cloud that they kind of stand Right, out. exactly. Like, the, the cloud looks good. The models look good. But the models look good in the sense that, like, some of the models look better than others. Like, the Enterprise looks really good. Um, but some of them, like some of the space stations and stuff, it's like, especially because I am, whether it's fair or not, and it is fair because all these movies came out before this, but, like, um, Star, Star Wars came out a couple years earlier. 2001's a decade old at this point, And both of those had better looking ships in terms of looking better in, in the context of space, looking more real, like looking like they were actually like in 2001, they made it look like these ships were floating in space, not little cutouts sort of manually being pushed around the screen. It looked like they actually had some inertia and stuff. And just the star Wars, obviously this isn't the same kind of atmosphere, but it looked so lived in and tactile and, and functional. Like there was, there was some moments where I'm looking at a space station in this and I'm realizing that the only reason that that there's like little rectangle, you know, protrusions on the outside of the space station that are just there because some production designer was like, well, if it's just a bl blank wall, it's going to be boring. So we got to put something there. So we'll put that there. Whereas I couldn't tell you what any of the little vents and knobs and screws and stuff on a TIE fighter do, but they're fucking there and they look like they're there for a reason. You know, I know this is just somebody gluing spare model parts onto a a thing willy nilly, but it made it look like it was functional. Whereas this just looks like I'm seeing a lot of, the, it's not that it doesn't look good. It's that I'm seeing a lot of the production design behind the scenes conversations. I feel like, well, I do agree with a lot of what you're saying, but in defense of this movie a little bit, I will point out one thing. And that's that the star Wars that we, that's burned into our brains right now 
is the special edition version of Star Wars that has been heavily affected 20, 30 years later uh, to make the special effects look up to date. Uh, if you remember back to the original Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back before they were, you know, fixed up, their effects did not look as good as they well, do now. Well, but they looked better than the, you're, that's a fair yes, point. But, but they, they did, did look better than they this did look because better. I grew up with the VHS tapes of the original versions. So I've watched the original, not updated versions of Star Wars way more than I ever. I think I've watched the I watched the remake ones. I think once, aesthetically once. the ships look better and like yeah the effects might be better too but they it they wasn't just look perfect. like they feel better in space like the, because like you said with the Klingon ships when they're moving and stuff it doesn't look like they're actually moving through space it looks like somebody's like overlaying an image on another image and just pushing it around and the little men are flipping around yeah I remember in the original Star Wars there when they whenever they did the shot like from inside the spaceship and you're seeing like the pilot's perspective looking out and you see like the the HUD or whatever it's called, like yep. uh, where you see all the buttons and stuff, you, you could see through them. There, you know, the effect they right. didn't have it that well. It was like taped to the <laughs> to yeah. the uh, lens, probably. You know, and you could see like when a ship would fly by, it would fly through the HUD, and you know they fixed that for the later ones. But people forget that. You I mean, know, also they, Star Wars had its problems. Also, too. just like the way that Star Wars, the momentum you talk about with like the ships, that's more of like aerial combat movie and clearly star trek Mm -hmm. is playing more on like naval you know guessing game you know like what's the other captain going to do what's this entity going to do so it's it it by design i think is a little bit more drifting through space like you know obviously you have the warp drive and everything like that but like i think they're meant to be a little bit slow i mean I don't. Well, that's once again. Well. This is why I'm. This is why I feel like 2001 is a better comp for this because right. the ships move very slow in that. But I did feel like those were actual things with some physical presence. Whereas, and it's not always the case. I did feel like a lot of times they do get it right. I think when the Enterprise is leaving the dry dock or whatever, that actually works really well. There was just moments where I was just like, "Yeah, that looks phony to me." I mean, there was a lot of stuff I liked. I, I love all the V'ger stuff when they go into the cloud at the end, and the wormhole is cool, and the jumps to to warp speed are kind of like they're like very um, stylized. But I appreciated that. The warping's really good. They don't they don't keep that. The streak. The I thought that looked really not neat. The, yeah, not the same. Are, yeah, in this movie, they're the best of yeah. all of them. Of yeah. even like the even even TNG series like isn't as cool as this. The warming is, is very good. It's very colorful. Like later, e- even into the 90s, the TV show, all the warping they did was just like little bits of like streaking color behind the ship and then like a little flash of light where it kind of disappeared into the distance. Um, but this one, you've got like fucking lights and like, you know, tiny prism rainbows coming out of them. And like, it's pretty sweet. It's also, it's also, a, bi- <laughs> it's also a big deal when they jump to warp. And that's part of like the the whole experience thing of this movie. And if you're not in for the experience, I can see why you wouldn't like it. But like part of this movie is like, can we get the ship to go into warp? And like, once we get into warp, can we keep it in warp? Like, can we make this yeah. thing work? So it, you know, I, I could have used some more rules defined before that because I didn't know what the fuck was going right. on when, like I got that he wanted to go to warp speed and other people disagreed with him. And I liked that they made him wrong for like setting up, setting up a conflict that they didn't follow through with but i I thought that was a good idea but like i didn't i when they went to warp speed and shit started going wrong i was like what they're in a wormhole what does that have to do with (laughs) what the fuck is it is random and and, you know it had it took me the second time watching it before i realized 
what was going on and it's not like super interesting it's just more technical babble where someone's like you know the ship's not working right don't jump to warp while we're in the solar system and they do it and of course it messes up but it's all there just to to let kirk be one-upped by decker basically to have deck and you know we were talking about the um the scene where the people melt in the transporter there's a great moment after that where kirk walks out and he gets this look on his face and I thought the look was like, he, he sort of changes from sadness to confused. And I thought at first it was like, oh, he's he's like, what what's the next thing I have to do to move the mission along? But what I realized was like, the look is, I don't know where I'm supposed to go on this ship. I'm completely lost. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and the best thing about it is the camera then uh, goes over to Decker and he has this look on his face like, you fucking idiot. Like, you don't even know where you're <laughs> but going. But then, then they don't do it. Then they don't play that out a little more. Like, I didn't need them to be <laughs> They don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, I, I just needed that to, like, I needed that to be a conflict, you know? But they were both so cool about it. It was like, Kirk's like, well, I I need you to press back on me and be my consultant. And, and that happens. And nurse that happens. Happens a lot. I mean, he has to earn, Decker has to earn his trust. And I think part of it is because, again, this is just me from memory. I think like these characters were supposed to be characters in a phase two Star Trek TV series. So, like, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So, I think this was supposed to um, like be played out more. But, you know, I think what happens is, is I think Decker eventually, basically, once he earns Kirk's trust, there's a, I think there's a nice little back and forth where Kirk is constantly kind of checking with him to make sure he's doing the right thing but i think ultimately what happens with decker is he realizes hey i'm not in love with this ship like you are this is your girl basically for lack of a better term i'm actually in love with this person uh uh person's that's kind of, and sorry, and so that's, that's like nonsense though well <laughs> I mean, I think that's. I, mean, I, <laughs> I don't want to interrupt you. No, go ahead. I want, I want to let you finish. No, I think uh, when, so, when. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Tell me what's so nonsense. I think, um. So I just hate his character. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, yeah, I understand what they were doing, and I I do think they they actualized that you know storyline of him him and Kirk's conflict and stuff like that. I don't. I don't. I, I mean, Harris is kind of right. Like, there was there was maybe more to go off of there, but I think Collins just kind of sucks, and like he's just not likable or charismatic, and I don't understand why he's good. <laughs> and also, the woman Ilya, she's like so beautiful and fucking cool as fuck. Uh, they so they her she was promised a five year deal of making a series. And then they were like, oh, no, you can only just be, you know, in this feature. And that's all you're going to get. And she was like, oh, well, I'll get to be in a motion picture. I'm from India. Like, I this is an opportunity no other Indian person would ever get. Um, and she shaved her head. She's actually bald. Uh, she's, she's like 10 times more charismatic than he is, even though she has a super thick accent. Um, they asked her to like speak like a robot to pretend to be the V'ger thing, which as a, as a performer who was not really an actress was actually a beauty queen from India. Asking her to do that was a lot and she pulled it off. And 
in the world of the story, the the plot line is that she comes from a planet where they have cel- like a, some kind of celibacy vow. Oh, another and thing that is not explained at all. <laughs> yeah, that I, I was I like, to, did she say something about celibacy? Yeah. Why, why are we glossing over? I had this? to read up on that one. It's not uh, that interesting. She also apparently in the director's cut, she has like magic powers and heals Chekhov uh, when he yeah. gets yes. burnt. Which is that's the version cool. I watched. Yeah, that's <laughs> fucking cool. Um, and she's awesome. And um, I think there's something going on with the subplot and the overall plot. The overall plot is about creation and uh, what it is to procreate. So they've created this intelligence, this self-aware thing, but it's not a human being. It's It was formerly a machine. And human beings created it a long time ago, and they don't even remember, you know? Um, and what's going on with him is, like, yeah, he he loves her and he wants to do her, I guess, but he, you know, like, doesn't because celibacy planet or whatever and it's just it it's really seems like it parallels a whole like i think he chooses the ship over her basically like he chooses the opportunity to be the captain of the enterprise rather than stay with her on delta yeah um but then like by the time she's i don't know it's clear to me that there's not enough chemistry going on (laughs) between them i'm not seeing the sparks even though I did see actual sparks, which was fantastic <laughs> uh, special effects. Uh, that scene they have in the in the Enterprise hotel lobby is not very good. It's yeah. horrible. The game playing scene. Yeah, the, like this yeah. is this is a game she yeah. loved. Yeah, they're uh, both kind of. Yeah, not, I hate it. Not great. Not when scene. she's like looking around and observing everything. Harris Harris always says uh, like when people are acting good that they're uh, they're chewing up the scenery, and that is like a really fucking nice set, and. <laughs> It's eating them real yeah. bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They are definitely underplaying that to, to a damaging dis- extent. I mean, I think like every all, every time yeah. they have to interact, it, it gets very soap opera y. So, like, I, was I think she's great that... individually, you know, but those scenes do not. I think that I, I didn't hate. I didn't hate Seventh Grade Heaven as much as Colin did, though. I thought he was uh, <laughs> like uh, not not terrible. Um, you, I never was able to complete an episode of that. I I like Jessica Biel, so I I've watched you know like ten minutes of an episode of it before, but oh, I just think I the never... actor. What I just think the actor. I don't think he was good in that show. I just think he. I was surprised he wasn't bad in this. You know, like I didn't hate that. You know. He is like I felt like he had like enough charisma and you know I could kind of buy it. I was like, okay, I'm kind of cheering for this guy. But I mean, this is like when you get a screenplay and it's like you can tell people love their characters so much that they never want them to fight or or be bad guys. Well, that's you Gene know? Roddenberry's it's, thing though. He didn't believe yeah. in characters really having conflict. And it created for a lot of boring uh, next generation episodes especially. <laughs> and like yeah. and and he was a real pain in the ass on this movie and if you you'll you'll notice Harris over the next five movies, his credit changes from like story or executive producer to like consultant basically. Cause they were like, get this asshole away from us as far well, that's as possible. Good. If, if he was the guy arguing for less conflict on this movie, I think it's good that he, he was pushed out right. a little bit. He basically had like a, a final say on, on story, uh, but not after this movie. And he had many final says on this story from what I've read. Like he constantly was being a pain in the ass. Well, the story of how this movie like came to be is crazy, and we kind of like talked about it a little bit, but yeah, it like basically was 
they wanted to do another TV show with all the original actors and they got them all except for Spock. And then like, I don't know. They just, they could, they had, they hired a bunch of writers and they couldn't figure it out. They couldn't crack it. And they were just like, fuck it. What was Leonard Nimoy doing? Was he like singing more songs or something like that? I think he was in like, you know, invasion of the body snatchers. And he was, he kind of had a career he was aging quickly and getting old and raggedy as fuck. Cause he looks <laughs> old in this. Yeah, yeah. He's like a hundred. And they couldn't, fi- and they couldn't find ears that matched his flesh tone. <laughs> <laughs> They're not supposed um, to. <laughs> well, he kept decaying throughout the entire film, so the ears kept not matching his skin. <laughs> they couldn't find the right gray. After Star Wars came out, they kind of were like, "Okay, forget the TV show. Let's make a movie." Right. And that's sort of the, how this came to be, more or less. Um, I wonder if so, that yeah. was a really dramatic moment. Like, he's some guy storms in, like. Fuck this! It's a movie now. <laughs> well, I, I read that the the Star Wars Phase Two was two and a half weeks away from production when they canceled it, and then yeah. all the people they just hired they had to fire everyone because they decided not to do it. That's isn't that insane? That sucks. <laughs> I'm sorry I interrupted you again, Matt. I, I've interrupted you like three times now. My bad. Oh, it's it's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I I mean, I guess can any of you like speak attest to like gene roddenberry i don't really know too much about him other than that yeah he was really hard to work with and he thought you know he this was his baby so he you know wanted it to be a certain Uh, way so i read his entire uh bio on wikipedia today uh so i could talk i could talk the whole paragraph yeah can you do that no it's uh, it's two minutes can you do it in two minutes (laughs) this guy set the clock no i can't this uh, he's a fascinating fascinating guy um so he uh he flew planes in in world war ii um then he flew for pan am then he was an la street cop and then he was like i don't want to do that anymore because i'm i'm starting to write for tv now uh and then he wrote for tv a lot and he wrote a lot of pilots that got rejected even like both before and after star trek uh he wrote westerns mostly westerns and he a lot of times was trying to find an idea where it was people on a boat traveling somewhere like a navy type thing or something like that or something like that so he comes from the background of uh westerns i think more like ensemble cast type westerns and he they he doesn't want to write sci-fi until he writes star trek and then after he writes star trek people only want him to write sci-fi and everything he does after star trek fails uh and star trek he sees as a failure for most of his life until even after this movie uh because he lost the rights to it he almost lost his house multiple times and everything else he wrote was rejected and he had to make money by going to the conventions which is like what a lot of them did uh after this show went to syndication it got popular and um a lot of the people involved with it the only thing they were making money doing was going to conventions for fans of the show and then they got this movie deal and you know we'll see what happens after that um but 
he was really difficult to work with. The original idea for Star Trek is is super idealistic. It's like we're going to create a world where we progress so far into the future that we've eliminated um, all of the problems we see in our society in the late 60s. And then we're going to use that as a lens, as a mirror, to say where they travel in space, that's going to show us what the problems we're having in our society are. Um, and I think it's a lot of like what I think some of the more progressive writers were already trying to do with uh, like the other genre stuff, like Westerns and stuff like, um, like twilight zone and things like that. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Um, it's basically, I, I think the other main point of it is it's a specifically philosophical show and yeah, the side characters, they don't, they don't ever get enough love Harris, you know, like they are, he was adamant that they were of different races. Like he wanted there to be a black woman, a Japanese man, someone from Russia, like people that weren't just white Americans. But the main three characters are also super central because they represent this um, sort of philosophical uh, pyramid or triangle. Uh, Kirk is a romantic, Spock is empirical, and McCoy is realist. So you can see everything that they do through that lens and that will tell you the characters like before you watch anything which i think is super interesting and i wish that there was that we saw that in this movie a little bit you know cuz i mean we see we we hint at it a little bit but we don't actually like like i feel like that's probably something that probably came through a lot more in the show um, and hopefully we'll come through in the movies a little more because that's an interesting idea of like how to tackle problems and and difficulties and stuff like that coming from it from different you know um, yeah. but what, to be the, the creator of something that idealistic and then to fail a lot means Gene Roddenberry was hard to work with because he's like this is my creation and it should be like this and it represents progress and like what we can do and what we can make people think about or help people think about but also they're like we're trying to like produce TV and movies here and you have to stop like having to have it your way right. and he's like well I have to do something because like I can't I can't see if I'm really succeeding if it's really working. You know, there's a, a dichotomy there of like I go to conventions and people love me, but I also like keep having to like submit pilots that no one wants and try to figure out how to pay for my house. You know what I mean? And you can tell that he's clearly like in love with the human spirit, you know, the flaws of humanity despite the fact that he envisions this perfect world. <clears throat> I mean, the big part of this movie is Spock's journey through Colinar, and it's kind of something that holds it back because you were talking about missing the dynamic between the three of them. I mean, when Spock shows up, it's like you visit that friend from college and you expect him to like, like hang out with you and give you a hug, and all of a sudden they have like you know kids and they don't care, they don't want to party anymore. I mean, that's what <laughs> Spock. And they're like inexplicably such a dick. <laughs> yeah, he's a real <laughs> asshole in this movie. Um, you know, and you know, it, it is the story of the film is, is his discovering of his human side, the flaws, you know, the same with V'ger. That's the parallel of the film, but you know, it, it takes away a lot of the, the humor, the dynamic of the three of them, because he is completely different in this film than he was towards the end of the series. And, 
very different from what he is in the next movie. And he kind of changes a little bit from movie to movie because of some circumstances. But like, mm-hmm. you know, it it if if he was more friend to Kirk, you might have some of that more enjoyable back and forth. The the most important line is when he's in the hospital bed and he's like, this. Uh, this machine has grown to understand itself and understand so much more than we ever will, but it still can't understand this. And he just like grabs his hand. That's the most important line of the movie, but it gets lost because like you said, they didn't put it, give enough time of, you know, give the audience time with the characters rather than looking at the spaceship, you know? Yep. Yeah. Agreed. So let's talk, I mean, we're sort of like doing this already, but let's talk a little bit about the things that didn't really, that didn't truly work in this movie, and then we'll go on to talk about the things that we think did work. Uh, I think that might be a good direction to go. So we've already talked about how... The, I feel like I need to do know, more puns also. I'm, I'm really like off my off my game. You, you are off your pun game, yes. But we still have probably another hour to go. <laughs> oh, <Jesus. laughs> Um, well, I, we I have, I have nothing negative to say about the film, so it's going to be really <laughs> short when you come. Oh, I can nominate something. Can we talk about the performances a little bit? <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm really impressed with the um, Persis Kambata, uh, uh, and she's she's hot. As a bald Are you talking woman. about the bald lady again? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, you talked about that for like five minutes already. I think we can uh, <laughs> right. skip ahead to anything yeah, else. Yeah, she's good. Yeah, um, she's good. In the movie. <laughs> yeah, she seemed she seemed good. Well, who's I, good? Let's talk about who's good in the movie. Uh, the the hairs on Kirk's left arm, but not the hairs on Kirk's right arm. <laughs> I feel like um, I feel like Leonard Nimoy is good when he finally comes around and like has his revelation and starts to like after that. Yeah, bed but scene. if he's supposed to be an asshole, he's a great asshole at the beginning of this film. Right, but it's also it's not just an asshole. It's like he's like um, it, he's so reined in that it's 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 a robotic performance by design. But it also is very much a robotic performance. Um, also, I didn't get at the beginning. So why do they drop his necklace on the ground when they're going to award him this necklace? Why do they just drop it on the ground? <laughs> if I was him, I just would have, I just would have taken it and told him I made it. I would have just told everybody, "Yeah, I got my necklace." I had the same thought. It's just actually a very, me. very slippery necklace. Uh, the <laughs> the uh, the the ritual um, prepares the necklace by dipping it in grease several times. Yeah. Did you guys read about that scene? <laughs> how the actors um, are actually speaking? They actually do the whole scene in English, but then later on they decided they wanted them to speak the the Vulcan language, right. and so they they dubbed Vulcan language over. But they had it. They had to sync it up with their lips, so the Vulcan words that they're saying had to. They, if you listen, they <laughs> kind of sound like. And then if you if you like watch their lips and then read the subtitles, they're. Yeah, they're speaking. They're just reading oh, the funny. subtitle. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> like sure, much like Klingons, uh, James Doohan, Scotty came up with that language. That was like his job when he wasn't acting. The Scotty was to come up with all the languages for these films. Is that true? Oh, that's least. cool. He definitely came up with a lot of Klingon. I think. Yeah. I wow. can't think of another word, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so yeah, I thought I, I did think Leonard Nimoy was pretty good. I, you know, I went into this thinking there's no way William Shatner as, is as bad as his reputation is, and somehow I was like half what like when he delivers the line like it's the same it's the exact same line he says about bones, but he says it two bones about Spock, and he's like bones, and then he just pauses for so long, and then he says, "We need him. I 
need him. And I'm just like, oh my god, really? <laughs> yeah, but I love him for it. I mean, it's just like, yeah, he, I, well, I think bad. fans he, do, but everyone else that's like looking at it objectively is like, whoa. Yeah, I know, but it's like Keanu Reeves kind of. It's like, do you love Keanu Reeves for being Keanu Reeves, and you love William Shatner for being? Captain Kirk and TJ Hooker and, you know, everything, you know, being chased by the giant rabbits and Night of Lepus, I think, you know. It's just Have you like... guys all seen the Rocket Man? The uh, oh, um, no, I haven't seen William it, Shatner Rocket Man? Yeah. That's one of my favorite things ever. Like, that's one of my favorite things on YouTube ever. He's such a, yeah, he's such a humanist. I mean, like, it, it's, it fits perfectly with this material to have a guy who is, is like, just clearly up his own ass so much and yeah like every, every, it's kind of a fucking weird guy anyways yeah. yeah like like other people might be a little bit weirded out by like um you know doing this stuff going to all these alien planets having all these, all these green women yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but he's he's a weird guy so one of my nominees for like the worst line reading of the entire movie was uh, Chekhov's reaction to getting zapped. Yeah, that was my big thing. <laughs> I, I love Chekhov. And Chekhov is also slower than everyone else in the wormhole scene for no reason. <laughs> like every, everybody is like, stop the, don't shoot the torpedo. He's like, I won't. I mean, he's like at least yeah. 10% slower than everyone. And no one ever told, you know, Chekhov, uh, to you know just speed it up just a little bit you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> we're, we're gonna we're we're gonna slow it down in post you don't need to talk that slow <laughs> and he didn't. no i'm doing a good job <laughs> yeah. trust I'm, me i'm doing a really in camera good effect job. for me it's in camera yeah. effect <laughs> for, for, and you know er, everything that he does in this movie to me is a little bit hammy doesn't quite work so i think he'd um, be my nomination for worst performance in the film well and, and none of them are gr- like like i don't know there's a it's a very limited sample size but uhura and sulu are also not good which is probably why i thought um um commander pito was actually passable was because you had a couple of actual like they brought in a couple of professional actors that actually had a little charisma and compared to what else was out there i was like oh thank god we're watching these people who can at least like sort of well, they, deliver they their lines nothing, without me groaning they have nothing you know not to use this phrase over and over again but they don't really have anything to do yeah i mean yeah. it's yeah. like it's, sulu gets the ship into warp and Uhura makes phone calls, you know. Yeah, that's and, and she's got her five five head assistant behind her yeah. doing nothing. I don't know what he was. I honestly about. think, um, yeah, yeah, the five head guy is right. awesome. Yeah, he's uh, Matt's background. I honestly think he, like. So uh, wait, can I just say something about this guy? He, I watched the director's cut, and the and he has a line, and it's this shot. I forget what he says, but he's you know he says some like whatever. He line. says, "Don't look at my forehead, please. I'm very sensitive." <laughs> like my, my eyes, eyes are, are down, down here. here. Yeah. <laughs> I started looking like this when I was in my uh, early twenties, and there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> is it kind of weird? Is, is uh, it, not, 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 to, not to change the subject, but is it kind of weird that Sp- uh, Kirk is when the science officer melts that he's like. It'd be great if you could get another Vulcan to be the science officer. Isn't that a little bit like yeah. racist on his part? <laughs> yeah. He's, what he has is a Vulcan fetish. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know if you can. I don't know if it's a fetish. I don't know if that's really like racist, but it's definitely a thing. He's it's definitely like, a peculiar. Vulcans are really good at math, and we need a someone good at math. If you get my meaning, you know. 
Yeah, I think it's just fan service. Like he's just trying to tease like Spock, you know, totally. to tease tease the audience that Spock is gonna you know be on screen again. There's also Wait, a reaction. Matt, what is that guy's line? Oh yeah, sorry, I don't sorry, know. Matt, sorry. I don't know his line, but I was gonna say when he came on screen, I was really hoping that you guys watched the director's cut because the second he popped on screen, I was like. This is a Colin role. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, second, is... the second he popped on screen, I, I, I thought like, oh, I didn't know Ben Foster was in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, this guy has a total Colin vibe, and I don't mean it in an offensive way, but like just his body language and like the way he like I, spoke. I was like, I, for a second, I was like, oh my God, Colin is in this movie. <laughs> I totally get it. I see it. That's kind of how I. That's kind of how I feel sometimes. Like I'm, I'm living in a forehead world, and I'm a five head. <laughs> uh, there's also a, a weird reaction that they have um, when Ohura finds out that uh, Ilya Ilya is coming aboard. Ilya. It's just like, oh, she's a Delton, and she gives a look to everybody in in the. Uh, and, you know, you think, like, by now, people will be used to Deltons, but apparently that was a big deal to have a Delton come aboard the ship. The best and is of course, anybody who wasn't space. Anybody what? who wasn't familiar with the series is like, what the fuck are you but talking that's the thing, about? Like, somebody explained something so to me. So I had to sake. look that up. I was like, what does that mean? Like, And apparently nothing. I mean, it means something if you read the novelization, probably written by Alan Dean Foster, but in it, there had never been a Delton on Star Trek before. So basically it's like another... Another Bad Orion, <laughs> Orion slave girl, the green girl, yeah, situation. It's, so it'd be the equivalent of today if like someone was like, "Oh, uh, he, you know, Ilya is coming up," and then someone was just like, "Guys, she's black." Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Right and then they have Aurora say it. It's so offensive. Yeah. yeah. So fucking yeah. bad. Um, the best is Chekhov's face when she walks in the room, though. Oh my He's god. Just, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh wow! Yeah, he, he, he really, oh wow! Uh, <laughs> he really is. I do think the conclusion I came to for the actual, the actual worst line reading of the entire movie um, was actually Decker saying, "What does that mean?" I think it was when they they explained that his girlfriend has been vaporized and then replaced by a robot. Um, but he's like, but it's like breathlessly like. What, what does that mean? It's it's so like, bad. Is she it's giving brutal. up celibacy or not? I mean, no, she's a <laughs> yeah, robot. Yeah, like, can I, but I can bang the robot, correct? <laughs> and ultimately, that's what he chooses to do. Yeah. He wasn't, he didn't seem that unhappy, like, when she got vaporized. He is, like, nobody just, is that upset about that. He's just like, he see, I told you. I told yeah, he's you like, that. Yeah, he's, it's an I told you so moment and not a um, this ex-girlfriend yeah. that I've been flirting now with. Now my girlfriend's just, dead. She's dead yeah. and it's all your fault. Thanks a lot. Now my girlfriend's I mean, I could still bang her, but she's dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kirk would never do that. It, they always kill someone just to see him like get sad about it. Who, <laughs> Kirk? Yeah. They, well, you know. there's, the, there's always someone who dies in the story just so Kirk can be like, damn it, someone died. <laughs> but they really don't. He was a good they, man. They really... He, he sort of shrugs it off pretty well. The the teleporter thing, he has his moment of solemnity. Yep. But then when when what's her name gets va- vaporized by the space lightning, it's like they all kind of they're all kind of like okay, moving on. She was, still a- she was new here, so we don't feel as bad. That's what you gotta <laughs> like, do, man. You gotta move on when somebody gets vaporized like that. It's just part of life. They're still that- in the shit at that point. It's yeah. like you know, we, like the vijer's trying to fuck us up. Like he Vija just killed somebody. We can't grieve it quite yet because Vija could kill anybody at any time it killed the entire space station like just a little bit earlier you know the listening station got completely vaporized and he watched it all and it it becomes like uh 
hardcore the George C. Scott movie where he's like, turn it off, turn it off, you know, trying to get the viewer off and everything. But first, he, but first he's like, hey, can we get an outside camera on this? Yeah, I don't know who's shooting that. Like he's like, yeah, especially because they, especially because it's there after they get vaporized. It must be one like, of the uh, jetpack hmm. guys. He's like, well, I'm gonna get a video of this shit if you yeah, know. Yeah. Are you talking about when TMZ. he shows it to all the cadets? Yeah, he's yeah, like, they, he brings yeah. everybody out into the space hotel lobby, and he's just like. Uh, <laughs> Now we're going to show you this thing, and, uh, it, it, you know, it kind of embarrasses him by killing everyone on the space station. That scene's so ridiculous, too. It's, like, obviously just saying, we're not TV anymore. Look at all these extras. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I feel like a lot of the special effects were, because I really liked when, like, they go into the into the cloud, and it looks kind of like there's, like, some visual effects that look pretty cool. And then when they actually get into the ship, which is basically just, like, Death Star meets 2001 trippy acid scene. But I was like, okay, this looks really good. But then it's like 18 minutes later, I'm like, wait, we still haven't gotten anywhere? What the fuck is going on here? And I think they just, they had all these effects that they did and they just really wanted to show them off. Well, they had Douglas Trumbull and John Dykstra, among many others, working on this film. Two of the, like, greatest, most influential, you know, Trumbull worked on 2001. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, the craftspersonship on this uh, movie is pretty exceptional as far as I'm concerned. So when Robert Wise, you know, decides to, to just show the cool effects, I kind of feel like he's like, well, we've got these great people. We've got these great things. I'm going to show it. It may not work all the time, but yeah. like, you know. That's and we've got roughly 90 minutes of excess runtime to play around with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there are a couple. Uh, I mean, there's no doubt. Like, I'll, I'll hit pause in this movie, to, and all of a sudden I'll look, and I'll be like, 45 minutes left. I mean, we should be <laughs> wrapping this up, you know. That was exactly when – because that's when we find out that we basically can can deduce that it's an, an artificial intelligence developed by humans that is returning to Earth. And I was like, wow, I can't believe it took us 90 minutes to get here. And then I looked, and I'm like, oh – only 40 fucking minutes left right. now that I mean, we solved the mystery. I think, once, <laughs> I think once she gets taken over or reproduced by V'ger, you know, I think it kind of, it just is like, maybe we could intercut that a little bit with like some of the shots over the spaceship. Instead, yeah. it's like we do the whole thing in one continuous sequence flying over the, I say we like I did it. I had nothing to do with Star Trek, <laughs> by the way. That's not why I'm defending it. Um, they do it. Uh, these much better filmmakers do it. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they fly over the ship and that they could just like cut back and forth between that and still have some of those scenes where like, she's an artificial intelligence. We're going to put this baby hat on her. You know, she used to like this baby hat. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? The little crown? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a ba- yeah like <laughs> I would have called it a headband, but yes. Yeah. No, it's like a baby hat. It's like- <laughs> no, it's like what you put on a baby when they don't have hair. Yeah, That's exactly what- it yeah. is. It is. Yeah. And it's off to the side, and um, you yeah. Know, even and, like, even Uhura is really weird about it. She used to like this, or was that or was that Chapel? I think it's Chapel. Chapel. Chapel's like yeah, she used to really Chapel like know? this. I mean, I think her and Chapel used to hang out. And also, yeah. that's another thing that like like that's a really interesting idea, right? So they have replaced her with an identical version of her that is not made up of the same material, but functionally is the same thing to the extent that it actually possesses some of her memories. Right. It's right. down, down so, to the molecule so similar so that we've it got creates some, this, these memories. So we've got some really interesting questions there about what does it mean to be her and is this her? It's like the, I mean, I'm sure you guys have heard of the, the teleporter, you know, conundrum, like the philosophical teleporter conundrum that they talk about, um, about like, so like, yes. I, I know yeah, this is Yeah, I was just talking about it earlier with work, my mom. But, 
<laughs> yeah. No. What? Is that it, it pulls your molecules <laughs> apart and then puts that, it back yeah, together? Yeah, if it's ripping your molecules apart, it's not actually efficient or plausible that it's actually transporting them to the new location. So really, it's ripping your molecules apart and then reassembling different molecules in a new place. And even though it is, you know, technically has your memories and is everything in other ways identical to you, it's actually a, a different person. It's technically a clone. So every time you go through the transporter, you're committing suicide and being cloned. And Sounds like what terrific, are the philosophical the philosophical yeah. ramifications of that, which I think they're kind of like they're dealing with a very similar situation and they kind of hint at it and never really get into it. Were you talking about that with your mom because she no longer recognizes you as her son because she believes you were <laughs> teleported at some point? <laughs> we actually we actually teleported together. Uh, oh, yeah. I, we we went with my brother, but what came back wasn't entirely human. So <laughs> later on, he was like, "Mom, this is a weird question, but do you have my penis?" <laughs> <laughs> There was a fly in the transport. Yeah, exactly. my, my mom is probably going to listen to this, so sorry, mom. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, to dra- sorry to drag you into this, but I love you. Sorry, Sean We have a, we have a strictly Don't mom worry about audience. So on, a, on a very she's similar not note. Li- she's not going to listen to this. Okay. I, would discur- I discourage my parents from listening to anything I do. Um, on, a, on a similar note, like kind of changing the subject, but also on a similar note, they are when they're rebuilding the the enterprise in the dry dock it is clearly a very different looking ship than the ones we last saw on the tv series and obviously like they're upgrading it for they're doing it in the movie they're going to make it look better and whatever but like is that are we supposed to believe that i felt like the upgrade that they're giving it is sort of them writing into the show that it's been upgraded but it's also like it, it brings up this like ship of Theseus question of if you've upgraded the ship that much that like it doesn't have any recognizable it's the same shape but it doesn't really have any recognizable original parts on it why is it still the Enterprise and why are you still making a big deal about this fucking thing? I think it's actually an interesting point because it's like Kirk is obsessed with it and it's not his ship anymore it's Decker's ship so again that to me is kind of interesting the the, the love triangle between the three of them and it isn't the same ship but. Again, not to spoil too much, Harris, but this is a real common problem in the Star Trek movies is the ship never works right. The crew is always new. It just sort of yeah. keeps happening over and over and over again. And so. it changes in every movie, right? The look yeah. of it? Uh, a little just bit, about? yeah. Oh, I I think also... I, it's, it's pretty dark in this movie, especially the, the bridge itself is kind of dark, which I think lends to the low the energy feeling maybe a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had to do it for the lighting effects, yeah. right? I don't know. So, and then J, J, it's not J.J. Abrams Star Trek for sure. I don't know, yeah. Uh, so there's a green stripe on the ship when it's in dry dock, and there's a red stripe on it later. Did anyone see that? I didn't catch that. They must have painted it before it went out. Yeah, They're like, wow, we only have we only have 12 hours to launch, so make sure the teleporters work and the warp drive. And um, can we get rid of that green fucking stripe? I hate that thing. <laughs> Maybe it just it changes stays red mood. for the rest of the Yeah, depends yeah. on Kirk's mood. That was yeah. the, what the little flipping guy was there for at the end. Yeah. When they when they left, he was the guy who just finished painting the stripe red, and he was like so happy. He's like, <laughs> got it. You're all good. good to go. Go. I can't wait till you find out what happens to the ship in the next few movies. Um. So right before I watched the director's cut, I had read that one of the differences is that it has a cleaned up, like better sound mix, and I I read that as it has different music, and so I was wrong in in reading it that way but when i turn the movie on and it starts with the uh well first of all there's an overture which is beautiful and it's like goes on for four minutes or something like that 
Um, not not on not on every version, but yeah, like if you I watched this on guy. yeah I watched this on Hulu and they cut the overture oh, out of, out of the beginning, but it was in the theatrical and the director's cut. I kind of feel like the over I watched it with the overture and it did sort of help set the tone for the kind of movie it was. But then at the end, I resented it because I was like, if you're going to be this slow throughout, can you save me the four minute overture at the beginning? <laughs> Maybe that's why I liked it so much because I didn't have yeah, to do that damn overture at the beginning. It definitely, it definitely is more influenced by 2001 than it was by Star Wars. I will say that. And I, and I like 2001 a lot. So I appreciate that aspect of it. But so anyway, I was surprised to hear that after the Paramount logo, you hear the Next Generation theme song. And I thought to myself, oh, that's fucked up. Like they, they must have the director oh. in the director's cut must not have liked the original music, and he just like replaced it with the next generation music, because I know that this next generation music doesn't come until next generation. And then I found out. I went back and I watched the regular version, and it was the same music. And so I was really confused. So I looked it up, and it, it turns out that Jerry Goldsmith, the guy who did the music for this, also did the music for Next Generation, and just pulled it from this movie. And turned that into the theme song for the TV show, which right. I never and this, knew. And this theme rules, by the way. This it's it awesome. does rule. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's classic. And and I think part of the reason why that dry dock scene is so long is they're just like, just play the whole cue, just play the whole thing. <laughs> Don't cut. We one got this. Second we got this cool ass ship. We got this great music. Just let it roll. Can we cut they to anything the, else? Uh... How about the ship? Yeah. How about Kirk looking like he's horny for the ship? All right. Good. <laughs> what about what about Scotty? What's he doing in this take? Well, he's, he's smiling. Cleaning Kirk's splooge off the window of the. <laughs> Man, he you loves you that like ship. That. You like that? You like that, don't you, Captain? You like it. <laughs> I think it's crazy that, um, and I agree 100%. This, this. I mean, if anybody out there doesn't know who Jerry Goldsmith is, I, I'm not going to read off his his resume. Go on IMDb; he did everything. Um, but it's crazy that they never used the iconic theme song at all in this because it is kind they of they like, do. Do they? I didn't. It's, it's I didn't like yeah, a, they work in the theme later. Yeah. It's the one that's oh, like. Well, I know what it sounds like. I just oh. never. So I, you know, I think they maybe, play it in the. Maybe it was one of the parts too. where I dozed off. Was it a boring part? You know, it's what they, uh, it's somewhere around like before they go to warp or after they go to the wormhole or something like that. Oh, okay. What they do? Yeah, maybe do I just a lot I just missed it. Is what I think also rules is hit the shit out of a guitar every time V'ger shows up. Bang! Yeah, that's so awesome. Bang! And it reminds I, me of a uh, Inception trailer or whatever, you know. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I, I think I think the score for this is really good. I mean, I think the sound is really. I listen to it with headphones on uh, because I have kids and like I can't be up listening to Star Trek all night. Um, but uh, you know, I think it it sounds really incredible. The sound work. I mean, I think that this movie, not to use a dumb term, but it's it's pretty cinematic by comparison to some of the other ones. Like, I I think there are better movies in this series, not to get too far down the road for you guys, but like, like, you know, you have Jerry Goldsmith, the editor who is probably much maligned for, for his work on this. This was his first big feature, but he is Todd Ramsey. He would go on to do uh, escape from New York and the thing exorcist three, all movies that I really like. Um, I mean, I think, and and Richard, Richard H. Klein, your DP is like, the man for 70s sci-fi andromeda strain soylent green battle for the planet of the apes yeah. king kong the fury then later he did body heat howard the duck and of course my favorite thing on his resume double impact <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean i think everybody <laughs> just 
all those <laughs> good ones. <laughs> those are all great movies. But every, there was a lot of good people working on this film. A lot of good people working on this film. And it makes for, for me at least, an enjoyable experience. Sorry, that's my dog in the background. Yeah, I think you can see the craft a lot. Um, like I said, I appreciate it a lot more uh, knowing what I know now than what I knew as an eight-year-old about the way movies are made, you know? I mean, when I was young, this movie would be the one that would come on the least, which is why I've only watched it twice. I've watched the other one about the other ones about 600 times, except for four, which I've only watched a couple times and not my favorite. I know a lot of people like it a lot. Boo! Sorry. I know. I, know. <laughs> I, can't, I can't wrap my head around the love for four as much. I had a traumatic experience in the theater watching four. Um, what? Yeah. Four's the funniest one. It was Stephen the... Collins sitting next to you yeah. in the theater? <laughs> <laughs> hey, kid, look over here. <laughs> he, was fond- he was fondling me, and then he quit halfway. It was so traumatic. Oh, <laughs> I was like, finish what you start, Stephen Collins. You need to commit to this. You need to commit to this. No, there was a lot of um, V'ger, like openings happening um, at that theater that day. But, um, no, what happened was uh, we were watching 4, and it was like 1987, which was the same year that uh, – uh, Nightmare 3, The Dream Warriors, was out in theaters. And so right before okay. the Star Trek movie, Nightmare 3 has a trailer where Freddy breaks his uh, glove through a, a, a dollhouse, and I was, like, completely traumatized by that. And to make matters worth, worse, I was just like, hey, Dad, what was that? What was that thing that freaked me out? And he's like, oh, that's just Freddy Krueger. He just comes in your dreams and kills you and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> that was before the movie started, too? No, that was afterwards oh, okay. at dinner. So I was just like, well, now I'm officially fucked up for life. <laughs> um, thanks, Dad. He's also listening, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, so anyway, that's going on I... with four, but, like, I don't see it. I, I feel like how I feel like Star Trek Four cancels out that level of trauma. <laughs> <laughs> it was. I mean, I, yeah. I don't want to spoil Star Trek Four and get too far yeah. into a different podcast, but like, you know, um, it, this one to me has some qualities to it as a film that are just you know undeniable. Whereas some of the other ones, there's some flimsy sets. Uh, there's some yeah thinner thinner stories. There's some also cheesy action i think this movie you'll, you'll find this out harris one of the things that's lacking is like other than persis Kambata, like a real villain that kirk can sort of play off of yeah yeah that, that was my i mean this is once again i was thinking that the conflict would arise from decker and that little com- competition there but then the idea that it's like we didn't get that and then we don't really have a bad guy either we have this sort of you know um cloud entity uh, that turns out to be a you know space probe. It just I I wanted some. If you're gonna have that, and there's nothing wrong with having that, but there has to be a moment of like there has to be like some kind of an action sequence at somewhere at some point to balance it out where they have to like solve some problem or you know whatever. But uh, it just like felt the like wormhole. there was right exactly. If they needed a they needed a wormhole moment at the conclusion they needed to like call back to that where the crew had to solve some major issue like if after they had you know whatever blown up the the, release the thing and the lightning bolts had taken um seventh heaven and everyone um if then they had to like escape somehow and we had like a really thrilling chase not that i wanted the movie to be longer at that point but i needed some some you know excitement there and i feel like they didn't they didn't really bring it you know what i just thought there are a couple of things uh, sorry uh, go ahead I love the line when Bones shows up. 
Why is there, whenever there's something we don't know what it is, we call it a thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's the word for that. <laughs> the original title for this, when they were making the first version of this movie, it was called Star Trek The God Thing. Which is, a, I think, an awful title. I I'm so think, glad they didn't. Call I mean, it that. that's pretty bad. Well, let's let's. They went with the motion picture, which I don't think <laughs> yeah. is. I don't think it's better. <laughs> you know? But it does. It does speak to the idea that this is like an old-fashioned Robert yeah. Wise. Like, right. Yeah. You know, there's some grandpas working on this film. We're gonna make one of them science motion pictures. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> Paramount was still probably pretty uh, old at this time, and like you know. Let's make a motion picture. You know? I, can we get Fairbanks for it? No, <laughs> Douglas Fairbanks has been dead for years. <laughs> can we dig him up? <laughs> Let's put him in space. They'll have That's a illegal. We we'll can't a dig him Trek. up. Who's that famous producer? He's like an old-timey producer. He wears sunglasses. He's from this era. I think he worked for Paramount. Do you guys oh, know yeah. what I'm talking about? Um, Joel Silver. No. No. Um, <laughs> Kidding. The guy from the kid stays in the picture. He did the Godfather. Yeah. He did. Uh, yeah, I can't think of his name. Ugh. Why am I not Robert? I, um, I Robert truly something. wish that more. Well, movies... I guess change the subject. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 keep thinking about it. This is this is an independent thought. Uh, I truly wish that more movies uh, had the Evans. brass to title themselves oh, the Robert title Evans, yeah. and then say the motion picture. I absolutely agree. Yeah, I think it should have been Star Trek The God Thing, the motion picture. <laughs> Star Trek uh, should have been Star Trek the movie, the motion picture. I think that would have Like what's uh what's what's like a cool movie that just came out or well, coronavirus, but uh, nothing. last There's year. There's nothing that came out. Yeah. Mission Impossible <laughs> Fallout the motion picture. Yeah, 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 right. Or um they could have called Jaws the motion picture. It was based yeah. on a book, a popular book. To differentiate, they could call it the motion picture, so people know they're not going to the theater to read a book. That shit would be fucking cool. That is that is my greatest fear, actually. <laughs> it's like when you go to see a foreign film, you're like, damn it, this is kind of like a book. Yeah. First there's a Freddy Krueger trailer, and then they start handing out books. <laughs> what, are, what are these, Dad? Well, you got to read them. They're really boring. Oh, my God. No, you've got, you got two and a half no! hours to finish this book. How do I scroll this? Here, try this one. It's by Alan Dean Foster. <laughs> it's like nice. the sequel. It's a sequel to Star Wars, but it's really fucking boring. <laughs> well, at least uh, it has it's just, Han Solo, it's just right? these siblings making out in a closet. <laughs> uh, what else haven't we addressed? Uh, I will say that um, I was watching this movie last night, and Colleen came in like towards the end, and they were saying "Viger" a whole bunch of times, and there is a swollen, like undulating butthole-looking thing, and she's like. <laughs> V'ger? Is that supposed to be code for vagina or something? And I'm like, uh, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? You know what the thing that would really get the Star Trek in trouble is a, a giant vagina in space. You know, one of them V'ger. I can't even say the word. I'm just gonna say V'ger. It's not so polite. What if, so I got an idea. They have to penetrate the cloud's anus, and the sphincter closes up behind them. And then Spock has to go through the inner anus. <laughs> and in between, there's a sideways vagina. Two anuses and a vagina. We'll call but it it's Star got a laser Trek. beam inside of it. We'll call it Star Trek anus. <laughs> the motion picture. The motion the picture. Motion picture. <laughs> Good stuff. That, that's the that's the next director's cut to come out. So yeah. 
Um, my only other thought, I think, on this entire movie was that did you notice when Spock is being sneaky and he goes down and he does the Vulcan neck pinch on the guy? Um, yes. And uh, there's a moment where like he puts his hand on the guy's shoulder and then the guy turns around <laughs> and kind of like looks over his shoulder at him and then sees him and then sort of collapses unconscious. When before all... he does that, he looks right at the camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he spikes the camera, he looks at Spock, and then he, like, collapses unconscious. And I was thinking, like, is it possible that, like, I was sort of rewriting all of Star Trek in my mind, where, like, maybe, all, like, all this Vulcan voodoo neck pinch and mind meld and stuff isn't real. Like, they just like him because he's really smart and he's good at science, <laughs> but they patronize him with all this other stuff. So Kirk's well, like... It's, it's he, all his religion and stuff. Like, you yeah, know, he's yeah. got, the, and he's he's like, got that he's Vulcan like, yeah. religion. You know, he touches your neck, sticks his right, hand he, out, and he, does weird... He's there, well, actually, I can disable a man just by touching his shoulder for a couple of seconds. And and Kirk's like, did you hear that, everybody? Spock's a real badass, right? So if he comes up behind you and touches your shoulder, you're down. You're going to go down for the count. Everyone got it? Stop shaking your head, Chekhov. You got it. (laughs) It sounds great. Everyone's on board with this. (laughs) Also, isn't he that guy's superior officer? Why does he have to assault him can he just be like hey i'm taking one of these turbo suits i'm going out for a little spinner on the ship uh, he <laughs> good does question he he doesn't have orders to do he's that. just vi- very violent very violent i have two confusing things that i want to bring up uh that that bugged me uh so one thing is um w- wasn't there a point where kirk uh initiated the self-destruct mode of the ship and they were like why is he doing this and they were like don't worry he's got a plan or whatever did that ever play out? Or that's like not that in this movie. Be... That's in a different movie. Yeah, I feel like that might be a director's cut. Oh, are you oh, thinking of? Shit. Are you thinking of when he just walked out? No, like, it, there's definitely a scene. Uh, maybe it's only in the director's cut. I I didn't uh, uh, read about that. But yeah, th- he he does something, and some guys like, or some someone maybe it's a woman character. I can't remember. But she's like, she's like, what is he doing? And they're like, oh, he's initiating the self destruct mode. Like he, he does that from time to time. Just don't worry about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, he he, unfortunately, it's kind of his go-to move. <laughs> he does it in the original series, and he also will do it in a in a later movie. In a later yeah, it'd be great if he had done that when you know when when Spock finally deduces that V'ger is a child. You know, he's just like you know, V'ger, if you don't calm down, I'm gonna blow up this ship. You know, <laughs> on the count of five, here I go. One, it's happening. You know, two, better stop. <laughs> Um, but the, the only problem is if you really want to discipline a child that way, you gotta follow through when they don't when they call your bluff. <laughs> <That's> yeah, <laughs> it's very true. Uh, the other thing that confused me, and we've talked about it sort of a little bit, is uh, when the people get killed in the transporter. I I even rewound it. I they didn't really explain like who the people were. That was who, one of like, the sci- that was the science officer that he talks to. Yeah, yeah the, Vulcan, the Vulcan guy. It's one random unnamed person and one person you see in a scene where Kirk is on an escalator talking to a guy who looks like Spock. And yeah. the guy oh, who yeah, looks yeah. like Spock, that was one of them. Not and the Spock. only reason we know that that's one of them is because after the fact, they say they need to the other the um, uh, seventh grade heaven to be a, a science officer. Right. He also right. says, now, send a card to the planet Vulcan. Tell him I'm real right. sorry about killing the kid. Yeah. Yep. That's polite. Uh, I'm reading about I'm reading about the self-destruct uh, system and to see when they use it. Well, while you're reading about that, uh, you know one of the other changes that they made to the director's cut was Vulcan, which I think is actually a good idea. I don't know if you guys which version you watched, but in the 
theatrical version, Vulcan looks like a planet that basically has no atmosphere at all. Like Spock is about to fly off into space yeah. at any time. I thought I found that to be a very unusual. The one I yeah. watched had it looked like they were like on a lava, you know. Yeah, like exactly. Volcanic I can't something. even yeah. tell. I mean, this movie has a lot of great effects shots. Those those matte paintings are not exactly the tightest. Right. I felt like the Vulcan scenes were terrible. That was I, that was another, and they front loaded all this stuff. So we had the Klingon ships that I didn't think looked that good, and then the Vulcan scene that I didn't think looked that good. And I was like, oh my god, what am I getting into? I felt like there was going to be like a a guy in a rubber lizard mask at some point, and I was like, very very pleasantly surprised when it got better from there. Speaking of Vulcans and guys in masks, I don't know, Colin, you might appreciate this, but the Vulcan captain is actually the actor who plays Sarek, Spock's dad. Right. That's actually him. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he also plays like a Romulan in the original series before he plays Sarek, too, I think. Really? That I did I not know. I think so. Know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. That guy, yeah, he, like, they, they use him every time. There's a there's a lot of, like, um, like, a lot of the small parts for actors in Star Trek, they'll be, like, four different people. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, yeah. David the, Warner the has two makeup. roles in, this, in, the, in the movies that you're about to watch. David Warner plays a character in one film. And then comes back in the next film and plays a different character. Yeah, and um, there's people who are in these films who are in the series later. Um, uh, one, uh, there's a guy who works at like Starfleet headquarters who he he does that, and then he becomes Captain Cisco's dad in the uh, Deep Space Nine. There's a yeah, lot of stuff like Bro- that. Brock Peters who plays. Yeah, uh, that guy's great. Who, yeah, he plays. Uh, oh, he shows up in Star Trek Four and Six. And Six, yeah, in Six, he's like a, a heel type character. He's like, well, you part, know, now you're getting yeah. no spoilers. Uh, yeah, spoilers. no spoilers, no spoilers. And when you when you do watch Six, make sure you watch the right version of that too, because there's three different versions of that film floating around. Ooh. So. What is the correct version to watch? Well, we I should grew, each watch a different one. Yeah, yeah. I grew up. <laughs> That's what I, we did this time, apparently. I grew up with the extended cut. Because that's what they played on HBO all the time. And for some reason, they just added all these scenes that I actually like a lot. So Star Trek Six is probably my favorite. I know it, like, way too well. I've seen that one. That's the one that got me into Star Trek. Mm-hmm. So that's the one I would suggest watching if you can watch the extended cut. But during the one of the scenes that you're talking about, Colin, where they reveal some stuff about Cartwright, there is a later version that they did for Blu-rays and DVDs. It's not on Hulu if you watch it on Hulu, um, but they they use a, a flashback technique, which is just really terrible. Don't watch that version. Oh, I got to see that. <laughs> I got to see that. <laughs> it's, it's helpful because there's some things in Star Trek VI which, you know, are blinking, you miss it. Yeah. But I just think it's just better to watch this extended cut rather than have these really awkwardly done flashbacks in one scene. Mm-hmm. But... Praxis is their key energy production facility, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Sean, you sound like you know a lot about Star Trek. Do you know anything about uh, the director's cut for Star Trek Two? Is First that worth all, watching? I take that as a huge insult that uh, what you just said about Star Trek. No, of course. I I, <laughs> I, 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 I am a huge Star Trek fan, um, mostly these movies. Um, but that being said, I don't know much about the extended cut or director's cut of Star Trek Two. Though that's another movie I know pretty well, so I'd kind of like to see that version. Yeah, I think it's another example of sort of this director's cut where not much has changed. It's just like a couple of trimmings here and there, and maybe an extra scene or two, or 
I mean, Star Trek. Yeah, never. I know I've even seen more it, so and I don't know the differences. Yeah. Maybe more so even than like Star Wars. Star Trek does a lot of revisionist stuff. Like it's hard to find the original. Well, it's not hard to find, but you know, if you go to Netflix or or wherever you can stream the original series, they've redone all of the the yeah. effect shots, and they all stick out really badly. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like these movies are perfect. Don't mess with them. <laughs> as far as yeah. I'm concerned. Uh, what do you say we rate this bad boy? Yeah, I'm ready. All righty. Who wants to go first? Should you explain Break it to anyone old. who hasn't watched it? I know what it is, the rating system. Or are, we, are you guys past that point in your podcast? I think we're career? just accepting that if somebody doesn't know what the Timothy Dolphins are, they need to watch a, listen to a back episode and figure it yeah. out. Yeah. Fair enough. But, yeah. but it's, a, it's a 1 to 10 scale of Timothy Dolphins. Um, and I will <laughs> go first. Uh, okay. Yeah, so I, um, I was... I was really optimistic that this would be good, and it, it was not. Um, it's not like it's not painfully bad. It wasn't like a, a struggle, but it was a struggle to stay awake sometimes. It was so slow moving, and like I said, not just slow moving in the way that 2001 is, but like repetitive, um, with just cutting to the, sort of the same things and, and cutting between the same ideas conceptually over and over again for what I couldn't for a purpose that I couldn't discern, um, and also. I was not impressed with some of the effects and, you know, compared to Alien and Star Wars and 2001 and a lot of other things, I felt like even the models and the production design were uh, a little lacking. Um, and the performances obviously were terrible. Uh, and really, you just can't make a movie without any conflict. It's really not a good idea. Um, that having been said, it did have some really breathtaking moments and some some effects and some production design stuff that was amazing so it was like really feast or famine with that stuff um and the score was excellent uh i felt like that it's sort of like a as a poor man's 2001 if this wasn't like star wars the star trek branded um and it was just a 2001 knockoff i'd be like yeah yeah it's probably not that bad um at the same time uh, I, I'm giving it four Timothy Dolphins because it didn't really... It, it had a hard time holding my interest, and I thought it just failed on too many levels. Um, so hopefully the, the the future ones will be better. He's dead, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> wow, four Timothy Dolphins. That's, right. you know, for me, that's pretty generous for a movie that I didn't really care for. Yeah, that's true. I'll give you that. It's true. Um, uh, Sean, do you want to go? Sure. I, uh, you know, like I said, I think, uh, you know, I thought coming into the, this screening of it that I was going to probably rate it around seven Timothy Dolphins, but I, uh, I'm going hard eight on that. You know, I Oof. think that uh, this movie has conflict. It's the conflict of the human spirit, man. It's like <laughs> logic versus emotion, fate of the world. Uh, there's all kinds of power dynamics that are going on. There's love, there's loss, there's everything you could ask for in a great movie and truthfully some amazing filmmaking going on so like i said eight timothy dolphins which is not an easy thing for me to say so wow the words Powerful. it's easy for me to give this a high rating but the words timothy dolphins are hard for me to say it's challenging yeah it helps it helps if you just mumble them <laughs> timothy dolphins uh I, i'm right I, you know i i agree with a lot of what both of you guys just said. Uh, I I both enjoyed this movie and agree that it is long, but I don't know if the length bothered me. 
I think especially for watching it at home on your own TV now in the year 2020, the length was nice because, well, <laughs> I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, they're just going to show the ship for the next 20 minutes. I can look at my phone right now. You're not supposed to watch movies like that. I can't watch a movie. <laughs> I can't watch a movie that I'm supposed to be paying attention to like that. You are. There, you've got to go to the bathroom at some point, Harris. It's just part of the deal. I mean, yeah, you could look at it that way, too. And I thought about that, that this movie builds in the bathroom breaks, <laughs> and, you know, you know People sometimes talk, used to talk in cinemas, like in Italy. That's what they used to do. They used to talk and talk. And then when somebody got killed on screen, they'd be like, oh, let's pay attention to that. Well, no, then they'd all talk and ask, like, wait, wait what happened? Who is that? Who is that guy? What Who cares? You know he what I miss? Killed. I used to, I used to um, back in Texas, in my room, my TV was in front of the bed where I could watch TV from the bed. And then the bathroom was next to the bed, so I could and go the in the bathroom and, and lotion were right <laughs> next to the other side of the. I don't know where this is going, Colin, no, but no. I think we could probably just cut to the. If the I uh, big if I went in the bathroom and left the door to the bathroom open, I could watch the TV through the mirror while sitting on the toilet. And <laughs> let me tell you something, it was pretty nice. I actually have I have that set up in my house right now, actually. <laughs> Yeah, cherish it. Cherish it while you have it. <laughs> Very cinematic. Bathroom but anyway, motion picture. <laughs> my bathroom uh, doesn't have anything like that anymore. I miss it. You need a smaller apartment. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, maybe not. <laughs> now, now we just have our phones we can watch things on while we're pooping. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, back to this review. Um, yeah, I... I enjoyed this movie probably more than I should have. Uh, you know, the performances, while I can see that some of them from the more of the side characters like Chekhov and Ahura, like those are not good, but I don't know. Kirk. Yeah. Something. I think I agree with Sean that like, there's something about him that is compelling, even though like in, like in tech, in a textbook of acting, like he is on paper bad, but he's, he's his like, own what, book. He's, his own, He's his own book. Exactly. It's a different methodology, you know? And um, I think, you know, Spock is good. I, I agree. You know, there is no real villain, but I, I I do find that this movie, like, drifts into that thinker element. And I think that kind of makes up for the lack of conflict. And, you know, maybe there, the human spirit is the, the conflict there. But uh, I think it all works out. I think, like, the way they reveal uh, plot elements like comes like they do it in a, in a natural way that everything feels kind of like I thought when they revealed V'ger that like that wasn't cheesy and it felt earned at that point and it made sense and it was an in- interesting thing to think about and um yeah I don't know I I, I guess if I'm being generous you know uh, I, I give this a seven seven Timothy Dolphins uh, I feel like it's not a perfect movie but it's not a stinker by any means. I should have gone like... lower. <laughs> <laughs> so it's my turn. Yep. Yeah, we saved uh, you for last. So yeah, I... go ahead, throw your nine on top there. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I came in um, pretty prepared to probably give it a seven, uh, much like you were saying, Sean. Um, and and the way I watched the movie when the first time I saw it years ago, like when I was a kid was very much like the way Harris saw it. And the way I see it now was like much more like the way Matt saw it. And so I, I came in watching it ready to like probably give it a seven and be generous. And then I came out of it 
thing. Like maybe I should give it a nine. <laughs> and um, so I just, to me, um, knowing what I know now about the craftsmanship and the, the way it was made and, and understanding placing it in its, its own time rather than trying to watch it as a kid as something more contemporary uh i'm really amazed by what it is and um even even as a kid i thought a lot of those things that harris did it's just too damn slow and boring and like a lot of this stuff doesn't look real because even by the 90s there was better technology and by the 90s they they just weren't editing movies this way you know they just weren't like that uh but i still when i was a kid had a deep appreciation for the visuals being so um like hypnotic almost and what i really understood was the overall plot of this v'ger thing it was a uh, a probe launched by nasa a long long time ago and it became so aware and so powerful that it had to seek its creator and what's important about that is that you come out of this story asking yourself about what is creation what is creating something to you and what you what i feel like i found for myself was that um you create yourself creation is a, a constant act it's something you do all the time and that you know the love you have for people and the things you share with people you are creating something when you do that and i think that's a really like a really beautiful thing well like they say there's no accounting for taste <laughs> <laughs> but there but there is a score that you have to give cuz i'm Yeah so what yeah what did that, oh, eight. that up Yeah because uh, cuz that's in between 7 and 9 I'm just going to point out I'm going to point out that the uh, the the just the uh, sorry that the um, the podcast average is 7 so license to watch gives this movie a 7 that's going to go on the poster all right, all right. <laughs> yep. Star Trek, anus, <laughs> a motion picture. Anus, the picture. <laughs> Have we done a picture about anus this year? No, you don't understand. I'm just Godfather looking. Three hasn't come out yet. <laughs> I'm just looking for a picture of an anus. That's all I want. It doesn't have to have motion. <laughs> yes, sir. Right away. <laughs> this is all a big misunderstanding. Can we cancel this thing? <laughs> when he, the executive goes to the theater and sees that thing, who approved this anus? It was just supposed to be a picture. <laughs> What's with the space anus? <laughs> was that my idea? <laughs> I like the that, way it smelled, though. That space anus cost ten million dollars. <laughs> I hope it. I hope it's fragrant. <laughs> All right. Well, Sean, thank you for being our guest. It was my pleasure. First... Thank you for having me. I hope yes. I. I hope I, I brought some enlightenment to Harris. Do you have anything to plug? Um, you know, just my just my space anus. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> plug my space anus. You heard it here first. Um, <laughs> no, I have. I, I mean, you know, I, 
I'm a I'm a film editor. You can watch some of my films. Look, look you know, look up my uh, my wrestling name online. Check out an IMDb. <laughs> You don't have a you films. don't tweet you don't have a Twitter or an Instagram or I something. Have a, I have a I have a Twitter, but I don't really tweet. I just occasionally like spaceship porn. Um, on <laughs> Good Twitter. for you. That's yeah. pretty relevant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, so yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, like I said, um, it was a pleasure to be here to talk about a great movie, in my opinion, and I'm super excited to hear about the next five movies that you guys are going to watch because I think all of them have some great. Uh, I mean, I love all these movies. Uh, even the one, you know, there's the, the discussion that the even ones are good, the odd ones are bad, which I know that kind of poisoned your view already, Harris. But uh, I I did a rewatch of these recently, and I I love them. I love them all, warts and all, warts and all. Big, Listen, nothing big, could have pointed, poisoned my view worse than watching this movie. That's true. <laughs> well, despite this movie's uh, dis- disgustingly large forehead, I think that there's a lot of. <laughs> I think there's a lot of beauty behind the uh, forehead. So yeah, we're gonna call well, it Star Trek: The Motion Picture, Foreheads and Anus. <laughs> <laughs> the Motion Picture, the Forehead, the Anus. <laughs> Sean, I was texting these guys earlier, and I was telling them about uh, this five head right here. So this guy, I looked it up. He's an actor and a and a producer, and he's only acted in this movie. And he's in Jaws 2. I don't know if you've seen that, but he's one of the teenagers. Yeah, he's the guy with the big forehead who gets eaten by the shark. <laughs> <laughs> he's barely anyway, a thousand. <laughs> he went on to be a big producer of television, and he did. He produced Martin, the Martin Lawrence show. Oh, yeah. yeah and, nice. and the D.L. Hughley show, the Hughleys. Yeah. Um, and he's been married to uh, Adrian Barbeau. Do you know who she is? From that's a good, that's a good John, pull John, for a guy with that forehead. Yeah, John Carpenter's ex-wife. John Carpenter's ex-wife. Yeah, speaking and he's of, got kids speaking with Speaking of uh, the thing and Escape from New York. So Yeah. So this guy, oh, man. But isn't she an actress also? She is, well, yeah. yeah. Sorry, what is I she shouldn't in? have said that. She, she's in Swamp Thing. She's oh, in yeah. the fog. Hell yeah. She's, Swamp she's in the fog, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to diminish her oh, we should do in Swamp any way thing. by saying yeah, she's Yeah, she's so much more than just foreheads, five heads wife. She's yeah. in Creep Show. Uh, Harris creep wants show? to watch Swamp Thing, and so do I, Matt. <laughs> Let's do it. That's a bonus. Yeah, we're, ca- we're canceling our bonus Next Generation episodes, and we're just watching Swamp Thing yeah. and Sudden Impact. You should do. So, you should so do, Sean, uh, last thing. Yeah, yeah. You should know that we have a Patreon for a dollar a month. You can uh, you can hear some bonus content where we cover other movies, and for this series, we'll be covering the four uh, Next Generation movies. I have a lot thing. of strong opinions on those movies too. <laughs> oh, excellent! <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah, there, there. Those are those are some. There's some quality films in there. I'm curious. I, I'm gonna look forward to listening to those on Patreon for sure. Excellent. If I had four, if I had dollars four dollars to spare, which you know, I don't. So it's oh. only one dollar a month. It's only one dollar. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Just wait till they're all out, and then just cash in for that dollar and you quit. Know, that, yeah. When you put it like that, that's using some. You know, you have to have a pretty big forehead to have a brain like that to think of yeah. that plan. Yeah, I don't understand it. I have to get a Vulcan to to, to explain the math to me. <laughs> <laughs> but then you get one of those artistic Vulcans that's like, no, no, I'm like a poetry Vulcan. I don't really do math. I'm not good at that's a stereotype, and I, I'm offended by it. <laughs> nice. Looking forward to those. Looking forward yeah. to those. All right. Um, well, does all that right, wrap so wh- up 
Does that yeah. wrap up Star Trek, the motion picture, the five head, the anus? I'm going to wrap out this episode with the phrase that wraps out this movie. And I believe I, I'm going to botch it here. It's like the human mission has yet to begin. Journey. Is that it? Journey. The human journey. On, Wait, I thought the last line was like, let's get the fuck out of here or whatever he says. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he let's says, just go anyway. That away. I believe it's yeah. that away. I think he yeah. says, take her around the block a couple of times. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> the battery's low. Let's just drive around for a little while. Get on the freeway if you don't mind. <laughs> the space don't actually go anywhere just let him sit there it's fine yeah <laughs> i bet kirk will just take the enterprise and just park it behind mars and idle for a while you know <laughs> think about what just happened how many people make out in the back seat just yeah, finger exactly. bang her uh <laughs> roll a joint and then say the lyrics from rocket man the song as if they're, <laughs> as they're a monologue <laughs> I feel like this movie probably would have been slightly better if I was on drugs. That's I I watched this sober and um and I was not playing on my phone. These are my mistakes. I'm going to try to learn from them and get better. That's all I can that's all I can do. All I can do is apologize, say I'm trying to learn and get better. Yeah, Harris, I thought you were a movie watcher. I mean, <laughs> I dropped the ball here today, guys. All, all right, right guys. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Sean. Guys, the human journey has yet to begin. You looked it up. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.